Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, and I'm joined by David Francisco, as always, here on Red Spotlight Entertainment, the show that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more. Hold on. I Did I ask people if they were recording? Yeah. Okay, I, okay, just wanted to make sure, because I've been so flippant lately. I, I, <laughs> there was even a point where I forgot my microphone. Okay, so... This is the show that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and what a big week it was. So many awards uh, have announced their nominees and award season is off to a bang. And we're also going to discuss two big films from Japan, Godzilla Minus One, and also the latest from Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli Ghibli. This is The Boy and the Heron. All that here more on Red Spotlight number 465. And we also have somebody else uh, that happened to creep along and join us. We have been... <laughs> we have been blessed with the presence of the one and only... Peter Martinez, who has um, finally... Um, come out of exile we don't know if that's um, my name but yes i don't know if exile is the right way of framing it um uh we do want to also congratulate peter for surviving whatever ordeal he just happened to experience from what i understand at a certain point cancer um what hmm? what did you say <laughs> nothing keep going what the fuck is this oza's dinner <laughs> All right, whatever. Um, uh, that's fine. I'm not. And we're back, everybody. Uh, how have you been, Peter? Uh, congratulations, by the way, on surviving, um, not dying. Right. I think that's an accomplishment worth uh, noting. Millions can't say that. Billions, <laughs> even. Not in 2023, where even so much as stepping outside can be the last moment of your life. Or inside. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have a stroke and just... Right. Anywho, enough of that unpleasantness. We're here to talk about um, where we are with movies and uh, some of the ones that we've seen thus far. I gotta say, though, um, looking at where we are in the landscape, right, of um, what's come to light as far as nominations are concerned, um, it's pretty obvious right now. I'm going to read the best film nominees from three different outlets. But I feel pretty good in thinking that Oppenheimer seems to have this handily. As far as not just nominations, but I'm still looking at winning as well. I mean, I told you that the night we saw it but mm -hmm. just get original ideas i guess you know <laughs> i mean sure <laughs> um but it's interesting because the one caveat is <clears throat> as we get to december then there are all these other contenders we're and, in december hey, we yes i'm talking about the thought process back in july mm. because in july we weren't in december now that's true we're in december. that's a true statement Okay, so right now, where we are, there are a number of other contenders that have racked up nominees and wins, but it doesn't seem like there has been a significant challenge um, 
the only other, I mean, the other films that are doing like, I guess gangbusters as far as nominations are concerned are both Poor Things and Barbie. Um, but Barbie ain't winning. It's not. Is Poor Things, does that stand a chance? It's getting it seems awards. seems to be the main one. Yes. But <clears throat> I don't know. I think the, the, the most recent closest uh, comparison would maybe be like The Shape of Water. Two poor things, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. A lot of sex stuff. But it's like um, also a crowd pleaser. Yeah. So, visually stunning in, visually in stunning. unique ways. Mm -hmm. And both produced by Searchlight Pictures. Mm. So Searchlight Pictures, which has taken several films to winning the whole award um, several times, it's got significant backing. That's why I'm not underestimating it. Like, I, if you ask me right now, do I see it winning? No. But is it impossible? Yes. If we lived in a world where Shape of Water didn't win... I would say yes, but lately, this new academy, um, or maybe we should say that the younger members who are beginning to actually make an impact in this group of body, um, are are having a lot of sway. Um, however, there's one thing I'm I'm seeing that's missing from any of these movies, which would you know also by default give the edge to Oppenheimer. And that is, none of these films as of yet has the it factor that Parasite, Coda, and Everything Everywhere All at Once had. The it factor that I think to me clinched all of those films winning was having an all-star ensemble cast that everybody wanted to have pictures with and, and be seen loving. And so far, there's not really an ensemble movie in any of these major contenders. No. <clears throat> Except for Oppenheimer. To an extent, that's true. Um, but I feel like with the other movies, there was this sense of like family that, and bond that the cast had formed through uh, the filming and you saw it in an award season and you saw voters respond mostly to that. And I don't think you get that vibe from Oppenheimer. Not really. I mean, you got, especially when you have several of them. Well, all you got are what? Killian, RDJ, and Emily Blunt. Um, uh, what's his name? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, got nominated today before a different movie um, at the Golden Globes. Which movie? Interestingly, uh, Air. Oh, lame. Yeah, that was a lame one. But a lot of people really like that movie. I, I, I don't know what to say, but people really like that movie. Um, so that's kind of... A, I got to look out for it, but I'm not seeing any other any of these other movies that has that cast. So I'm just thinking it's the it's Oppenheimer by the default one. I'm thinking Poor, uh, poor Things could be the Dark Horse challenger to it. Um I have a hard time seeing really anybody else win, except what do you think about American fiction? Cause that seems like a movie that's definitely up their alley. I think it could, it could be a late, uh, what do you call it? <clears throat> a late hour sneak 
where it, where it quickly rises in the ranks. Mm-hmm. The, it's been rising these the last end. few weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, it's not out yet, so you can't you can't really tell until it's out. I think that's yeah. when chatter of it starts to solidify. By the way, Peter, to answer your question, I found out Poor Things did open this past week, but in like a handful of theaters. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like even a limited release. It was just like an initial. Oh, hi. Mm-hmm. Hi, Tootsie. That's uh, Peter's cat that he wants to show us at this moment. Um, so that's where it is with it, but I can't see any of the other ones. Uh, let's go get into some of these lists and compare because there's a lot of commonality in a lot of these lists. Uh, David, before I, I read them, do you have any thoughts on what movies you think uh, have the advantage? What, do you think it's what are your thoughts three? on movies, David? <laughs> I like movies. That's well. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, so far, I think Oppenheimer just kind of like, like you mentioned, kind of went by default just because it's got a whole lot of things going for it. Editing sound sound design cinematography and all that um i'm rooting for poor things um have you seen it like i haven't but like then why for it in that i'm hoping to enjoy it and i'm hoping that it'll like (laughs) catch me by surprise kind of like shape of water where Mm. uh, i saw it i'm like oh my gosh this is fantastic i love it (laughs) you're into the weird sex movies huh (laughs) (laughs) well if you want that go see saltburn while you can in theaters oh, and yeah, Amazon Prime it. and Christmas. <laughs> so that's a whole situation. I can't believe Alexis couldn't get herself to go see. I know. Dude, literally, no, Godzilla minus one and Sopper were playing at the same time. And I was like, let's go. You go watch this and I'll watch that. Like, we'll be up at the same time. She's just like, nah, I got homework. I'm probably going to do stuff tomorrow. I'm like, oh my God. It was right there. Oh my God. She's a liar. i mean she wanted to see it um apparently Mm -hmm. she saw the bathtub scene well yeah it was on the internet of course that was gonna be the first thing put on the internet with that movie (laughs) i would think the ending would be the first thing put on the internet um i'm but (laughs) i'm sure you were hoping um a lot of people would Mm. um so here we go. The National Board of Review, which last year awarded Top Gun Maverick Best Picture and Steven Spielberg Best Director for The Fablemans, these are uh, they awarded Best Picture this year to Killers of the Flower Moon and Best Director to Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I fucking love. Uh, I'd love to see more Marty prizes there. Probably not, but there it is. He, these are the 10 movies that they uh, gave Best Film to, including Flower Moon, Poor Things... Past Lives, Oppenheimer, Maestro, The Iron Claw, that was surprising, Mm. The Holdovers, Ferrari, that one is not really registering anywhere else, so that seems to be kind of a a blip there, The Boy and the Heron, uh, animated movie in here, and not Spider-Man, and Mm. then Barbie. So that was the National Board of Review. Interesting, uh, I always like seeing what they have a little bit different. So they had Ferrari in here. They had Boy in the Heron, which I think is absolutely deserving of a, a mention besides just animated movie. Then you have the American Film Institute, AFI, which has a lot of carryover with what ends up being nominated at the Academy Awards. So you have American Fiction, 
Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, May, December, that's the film with Charles Melton, Julianne Moore, and Natalie Portman, then, uh, which just dropped on Netflix this past week, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is really cool because, first of all, Spider-Man deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, it deserves, honestly, to be on all of these lists. And the reason why it's not is because it's an animated film. And it has that going against it. But I also just think it's really cool that we had two different groups here that had an animated film in their top 10, but they're not the same animated movie, which I would love to see more of in future years. Um, Next, today uh, was the brand new Golden Globe Awards, and they announced their nominees for Best Picture. They have two different categories. They got straight drama, and they also got um, musical and or comedy. For Globe's musical comedy, they nominated Air, The Holdovers, Barbie, American Fiction, May, December, and Poor Things. And then for Globe's uh, drama picture, they nominated Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, The Zone of Interest. That's an interesting one. Anatomy of a Fall and Maestro. Um, It's pronounced Maestro. Maestro. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I... um, Peter, do, okay, there's two possibilities here. I think to me the biggest story coming out of the Globes today is the one true King. bonafide musical mm-hmm. was snubbed in Best Picture Musical or Comedy, The Color Purple. Um, it wasn't included and they chose to go Isn't Wonka with Wonka a musical? It is, and that also was snubbed. So that's why, and you know what, they may oh, be linked in this shit. way. I thought it was not, Dude, I wasn't listening, okay. No, it's okay. Wonka and the Color Purple got nominations elsewhere, mm. but they did not get into Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Now, also, do you? Th- yeah, May December isn't a comedy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't consider Barbie a comedy. Honestly, it's it's comedic in it's tone, enough. but it's not. A, it's enough. Mm-hmm. It's enough of. I mean, it's holdovers a comedy. Like it, compared there's, there's co- to like May December. Oh my god. I, to be honest with you, the 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 film that is maybe the most comedic in tone, based on what I know about it, is American Fiction. That's in, true. In this, that seems like it, the most straightforward comedy. Mm-hmm. Right, but I think so. Barbie is also. I, come on, it's a comedy. I buy it, yeah. If I if I were to put between drama and and comedy, I'd put it in comedy. But to me, it's more of a dramedy. But there's no category for that, so I'm not going to go there. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen May December. I but it, it didn't strike me as a comedy when no. I saw the trailers. Yeah, the concept of it doesn't sound like <laughs> comedy at all. <laughs> Which I really want to see, and I might see this weekend. Um, and we're going to do a review on it see pretty it tonight. soon. It's on Netflix. Uh, I could. Well, yeah, I want to see the Paddington films before I see Wonka. Oh. Yeah, I need to see. I haven't oh, seen on Hulu. Paddington. Yeah, I'm going to watch Paddington mm-hmm. movies for sure. Wait, you haven't um, seen them at all? I haven't seen them ever. Oh I God. know. I know. I'm trying so, to convince Ellie to watch it. <laughs> no, I mean, if she's going to watch Wonka, she's she needs to watch the Paddington movies. Okay, it's the same director. So I, mm. I, I want to, and I, I also need to see, before I see Poor Things, I got to see The Favorite. I haven't seen The Favorite from Yorgos Lanthimos so many years ago. I don't know favorite. that was my favorite of his <laughs> uh his films. Uh-huh. It's also probably cuz it's the most um 
accessible. Accessible. Mm-hmm. And but maybe that entertaining. That one's funny. I could see them putting that one in comedy. So, yeah, May, December may be an outlier here. But I got to ask you this central question. They watched the movies. They nominated Timmy for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Oh, and they good. nominated... And they nominated Fantasia and Danielle Brooks mm-hmm. for Color Purple. So they nominated them for performances. Did they just not like them that much to put them in a picture? Or did David Zaslav fuck up here and really wait until the last fucking minute possible to have those movies even be screened? Which, by the way, at this moment, The Color Purple still has a review embargo. Uh, the Color Purple should have been hitting the, the like... The what are they called? The circuit, not press the circuit, junkets. not the press junkets, but like the um, the screeners, or the festivals, the festivals. It should have hit the festivals months ago, right? Back in September. Yeah, like because clearly this was a um, an awards film, and it's it was built for that. It was made from the ground up. And again, this is where it's like Zasloff just isn't a movie guy. Maybe he doesn't realize how this fucking works. Like you, you got to put it out there in the in the public eye. Or maybe they just didn't know if they were gonna fucking release the thing. Uh, yeah, I think they were not. They weren't sure for a while there, based on the on the strikes. Correct? Because that yeah. was that was going on for a while. Strikes mm-hmm. combined with the fact that they have literally zero dollars. To market anything, because remember yeah. back in the in the heat of those strikes, there were I mean they pushed Dune, so there were rumors that they're going to push Wonka, Color Purple, maybe even Aquaman. That was all on the table at one point. Now they're all going to be out on the same weekend, except for Dune. <laughs> like genius, genius marketing there. Yeah, eat, I mean I'm going to watch own. all of them. All cards on the table. I'm going to watch all of the movies, but yeah. it is ridiculous how they're all coming out on the same day. Basically, there are three yeah. big Warner Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Color Purple and Wonka and even Aquaman, they make sense for the Christmas season. But even then, all at the same time. At the same time? <laughs> spread that shit. Spread the love a little, you know? <laughs> I think for sure Wonka, very Christmassy. Yeah. Yeah. And very, very family. You know, if you're going, you want to be with the family when you go. I think that one would have made the most sense to have like, okay, this is coming out Christmas Day or some shit or like the week Mm -hmm. before. And the other two, like. They can come out whenever. Yeah. Like maybe Color Purple beginning of December. Uh, then have uh, maybe even January, but then if you do January, that, that, at that point you no, you to... can't you can't do January. But yeah, that's how I think they should have done it. But yeah, it seems like Color Purple is getting it's it's just getting a shit rollout. That's the thing because here here's and I have to remind people it's all about timing and it's all about perception and even these Oscar prognosticators, you know, even though they tell us these things, sometimes they just um. They forget certain things. I I think there's a a possibility there's still opportunities for Color Purple to be nominated at other places. For sure, the idea that it has, like, you know, an all African-American cast, that's going to play big with SAG. And it it may very well win some awards there. Um, And maybe even a, a 
because it, it is being a musical, of course, the Oscars do like musicals. But they see, just recent- this yeah. is this is where box office really would help. Yeah, because that that leads to great word of mouth, which mm-hmm. gets you know the I don't I can't I was gonna say newspapers they're not newspapers anymore, but uh, <laughs> the trades the trades you know talking writing articles trying to get interviews. That's if how Color you, Purple comes out and does your box office, momentum. Yeah. yeah, every pundit will be talking about. Well, look at the box office, and then and then the voters will be looking at the pundits saying it, and then they'll they'll be believing their own hype of it, basically. But here's the thing: I well, think Color real Purple. Quick, and I was going to say, yeah. remember, voters. Most voters don't see shit. Yeah, mm. they go based off vibes. Yeah, so they see everyone talking about, ooh, like this this actress, she's so great, and um, Color Purple. Da 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 da. They'll go like, oh yeah, awesome. I'm voting for her. I like her. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how a lot of the voting goes down. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is why you like this shit so much. It's just bullshit politics. It is. Um, <laughs> and then sometimes you end up getting lucky and your favorites win. And then sometimes they crash unbelievably hard. And then that's also. Is this depressing. why you like it? Because it's the only type of politics that you'll ever be able to win at some point. And enjoy. Yeah, so I think those okay. are two aspects of it, but of course, you know, I look. All awards are meaningless. Um, sure. What I mean, how are we going to do competitions between art with such different movies? You know, the whole idea of it is very trivial and nonsensical, but they exist, and it's all they're about fun. It, it's more about the careers they can create. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And which is why on the show we had been, you know, defending Rachel Zegler for a long time. And I, you know what? To mention Rachel Zegler, can we just say how happy all of us are for her that Hunger Games didn't completely embarrass itself? Like it's, it did really, <laughs> it did really good. well. It did good. A mm-hmm. hundred million dollar movie, which for a blockbuster these days is kind of almost unheard of. And mm-hmm. then from what I heard, the effects and the production design were actually pretty good. So it even showed up other blockbusters in that department. It got mixed reactions, but it got a really great cast. The fan base apparently turned out like even just this past. Yeah, it it was mixed reactions, but it was mixed to positive. Yes, not mixed to negative. That's a big difference. Mm -hmm. That is a big difference. I think people who went to go see it in theaters more or less enjoy themselves. And that's a pretty big uh, Mm -hmm. deal. And I mean, it's in some ways... uh, sad to say because i think all of rachel zegler's uh like film moments have been great like she herself has turned in great performances but west side story and shazam were just like victims of like different like things that happened like west side story came out that pandemic year no one cared about it at all Mm -hmm. and then shazam came out earlier this year and i think all of us are in agreement that shazam fury of the gods Got a really bad, like, rap from everybody. I think it got I, a bad rap. Like, I, I don't me, think it's as bad as... I think it's good. I think it's I think, it's, I think it's a legitimately good film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly. And people were like, well, that's one of the worst ever. And I'm like... Did you see The Flash? Yeah. That's the <laughs> Did thing. you see Ant-Man? Pe- people still defend The Flash. And it's like, God damn. That was one of the <laughs> ugliest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I, that was the yeah. craziest thing I saw in uh, Fury of the Gods, uh, where you see all the monsters popping up. And I'm like, it's well these done. look really good. Yeah. Like, are these costumes? Like, hold up. Some of these are costumes. The like, effects goddamn. work. Here, now it's going to turn into a Shazam review. The effects <laughs> work were great. Uh, was great. All of the performances were, I mean, sure, some people, I guess, got tired of Zachary Levi, whatever. But, you know, everybody else, um, Asher Angel, 
um who's the guy that played um the main brother i forget his name but he he's also oh. really good in, in these movies rachel obviously was great helen mirren showed up man and she did not phone it in she was <laughs> committing like like she basically treated this like the same way michael kane treated the muppets christmas carol like she came in <laughs> and she thought she was doing shakespeare or something like she i don't know people i guess you know taste is subjective sure but i don't know what happened i i can't honestly feel like if the film had come out two years ago, it would get the same reaction. I'm just thinking it was because it was the year where comic book films just mm-hmm. hit a hit a wall, basically. And it was just a victim of all of those things. But back to Rachel, she had two duds in a row from the box office standpoint, which made her such an easy target. And then when this whole Snow White thing erupted, we all know how that went. So the idea that she now has a winner in her pocket is good for her career. Um, and I, I I think all of us want to see her in more movies. By the way, uh, lest we all forget, she is a Golden Globe winner um, already, but nobody saw that happen because that was the one year they took the Globes off the air because of a controversy that happened. <laughs> so no one even like knows that she won, but she did win. It was just announced in a tweet that she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical. Uh, two years ago anyway um, so but the other thing I was going to ask you just with Color Purple real quick Peter do you think the reviews might not be overwhelmingly positive is that why they're holding the embargo every review I've seen and like these are from uh, not Funko critics not, not Funko critics but like reviewers seems to be pretty darn positive so i don't think it's that i really don't then what reason is there to have a review embargo people should be talking about this movie now (laughs) yeah i don't know it's really weird so now what's happened is so that one week where it had its screening people were like oh my god this is great this is amazing then the following week all these critics groups started to unveil their nominees and winners and Color Purple was nowhere to be seen. And look at what I just read. NBR, AFI, and The Globes and Color Purple was on none of those lists. And I feel, well, it's because they if they saw it, it was the last thing they saw and the nominees were basically already done before. And like, that's what I think anyway. Yeah, like I said, I think this is more just a shit... Um, release schedule. Uh, yeah. It's just a terrible rollout for the film. Which, unfortunately, um, matters in this game. It's the, it's like half the game, really. And so there have been plenty of movies that have come out late that don't even, like, I don't know if this maybe played a part in it. It was also a bomb. But do you remember when Scorsese's Silence movie, was it December that it came out? Or November. I don't remember. But I think that movie also wasn't received super warmly. Which is crazy because it's kind of his best movie. In a way, you know, <laughs> it, it's uh, insane to me. But it, it, it does happen. So um, is there a chance for the film Color Purple to rebound? I think it will. And I think it's going to be received very well with audiences. Um, and I also encouraged... Um, if they're audience. That's, that's the thing. It's like... If they show up, well, that's the test, right? Like, 
as far as musicals are concerned, right? Because 2021 was disastrous with In the Heights and West Side Story back to back just being some of the biggest bombs ever. And so if Color Purple actually does really well, then maybe we can chalk it up to those films being poorly uh, or being performing so poorly because it was a pandemic year. Now, that was the same year Suicide Squad came out. And I mean, The Suicide Squad. And no Terror. one saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think all of us are hoping that this does well, not just for that film's sake, but for the sake of other studios being willing to finance musicals in the future. It, it, it has a lot riding on it, for sure. And it, but, it, but, but what you were saying, if the box office isn't good, it's kind of done, probably then, in this awards race. Because... Uh, you know, sometimes if your film is perceived to be a box office dud, they will just cut you loose. I mean, ultimately, that's uh, more than anything else. That's kind of what hurt Spielberg and the Fablemans, right? Is that nobody watched it. Yeah. And if there had been an audience that came out, remember, it only made 15 million in the in the States. Like it was no one cared. Um, so if people had come out to see that it may have done better along the way but that just didn't happen alongside other issues of course um but uh, real quick i I did encourage both alexis and and david uh to take some time and watch the original color purple from steven spielberg um just and it'd be a really nice uh i think compare and contrast uh with this new movie because this new one is obviously a musical um and then also for uh Listeners and viewers, uh, we will be watching Wonka this week, and so next week we'll have a review on that movie. And it's one that we're... It's a, it's a curious one, because uh, dare we actually have a Willy Wonka film that's not entirely crap, and actually pretty <clears throat> good? And then the other thing is, could we have a movie that ultimately is very good, but then a performance that could be quite polarizing because I know that Peter particularly had a really strong reaction to the clips released of Timothy Chalamet in that trailer. No, he and I were both kind of like, mm, Chalamet is probably miscast in this. But the more I see the trailers, the more it's kind of growing on me. Not You're his performance. Not so much his performance, but like the movie itself. I'm kind of like, okay, it's the guy who made Paddington. Like, chances are I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy it and like I said the more I, the more I see the trailers the more I'm kind of like there's going to see there's going to be some things I'm probably going to like probably get emotional uh, but it's Chalamet that I'm kind of worried about <laughs> interesting okay uh, the other thing is this how strong or how seriously should we consider you know, we, we talked about Oppenheimer, we talked about American fiction and poor things. How seriously should we take Killers of the Flower Moon as a contender for picture or director? I think he should win for director. Just um, It might. It's not going to, but it might. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it's like, it's not just those two categories. Um, the biggest, I think, or the likeliest, in fact category it has uh, a chance at winning is best actress as a matter of fact I think and here we it has a yeah. damn good chance at best like actress. Mm-hmm. it's it's pretty miraculous because 
And I think all of us had good reasons to be upset with the idea of Lily Gladstone throwing away uh, an easy win when she switched from supporting the lead. And yet, the critics have really showed up for her. She has swept all of the critics' prizes these last few weeks for Best Actress. Best Leading Actress, I should say. Only one, the Los Angeles critics, were like, no, you're in supporting, and we're actually going to give the award to somebody else. Um, but all the other ones put her in lead, and she's one lead. And so right now, Lily Gladstone has the momentum on her side. Like, the critics are, like, really boosting her up. And I could now see a possibility where she could be a favorite to win for killers um and that might be its only win but if lily if lily continues to sweep i mean killers has won at new york critics it won here at nbr for the record so did the irishman a few years ago so it could be just a, the marty love factor you know and it, and it may not be um as widespread um i don't know but for some reason i feel the globes are kind of for me gonna determine it and even even if we get to the globes and if marty wins directing and if killers wins picture i'm still gonna be well oppenheimer's still gonna get it but if oppenheimer wins both outright on globes night january 7th it's it. That's that that that's it. It's over. Um, it's gonna just steamroll all the way through through the Oscars. Um, but I guess to me, more than like, is Killer is an actual challenger? Is me like? Because remember what the Globes did last year. Globes did not award the eventual Best Picture winner. They awarded both Banshees of Inisherin and they awarded The Fablemans. Um, Martin McDonough won screenplay, and then. Banshees won picture comedy musical and then Spielberg won director and then it won for a picture of Fableman. So if any of these groups are going to do it, I think it may be the globe is because Marty has already won best director at the globes three different times. So if he won again, this would be his fourth time. Whereas Nolan has only been nominated three times and has won zero. Um, so that's where we see. But I mean, I, I, we shouldn't discount Killers because it has been racking up some wins and some prizes here. Um, the other question is this. Past Lives has continued to stay in this race. And I'm very happy to see that because I love that film. And I know Peter hasn't seen that movie yet, but you should absolutely make it a priority because it is I one of... <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> Um, as well as Anatomy of a Fall. But Past Lives um, really showed up here getting five big nominations. You know, what? what one of the, my favorite nominees to see was that they nominated Celine Song for Best Director. This is her first movie. And and she got nominated for Best Director mm -hmm. uh, as well as Best, Best Screenplay. And that is massive um, for that movie. So... And they chose to, and they chose her over others like um, uh, Alexander Payne, who did Holdovers, who is also one of the ones who's in contention. Mm -hmm. So I was happy to see that. Now, as far as Best Picture, P 
Peter, do you think there's a possibility this year we're going to have two international movies get into Best Picture? One being Anatomy of a Fall and the other being The Zone of Interest? Mm, they might just pick one. They usually should, just pick one international both, movie. Mm-hmm. Zone of Interest, for people who may not be aware of, because uh, we have discussed Anatomy, we have a review on it uh, on the show, but Zone of Interest, um, for those who are not aware, is kind of a tough sell for people to watch because it's about Nazis going on vacation and their vacation home is near a concentration camp and you hear a lot of the sounds from the concentration camp throughout the movie. By the way, David, if you didn't know, Sandra Huller, who played the main character in uh, Anatomy of a Fall, is also in The Zone of Interest. Um, So just a little bit of a connection there. Mm. But the thing is, The Zone of Interest just felt like a tough sell to get these people to actually watch it. And it hasn't actually been doing all that well with the critics, but it actually showed up to play at the Globes today. So there's a possibility, but if it's not anatomy of a, I mean, if it's not the zone of interest, is it really going to be made December as the last it could movie? Be. Because again, this is where we're talking about. If you get that word of mouth, uh, the rest of the Academy listened because it dropped. No one was fucking talking about it before it dropped. It mm-hmm. dropped and it, it people started talking about it online, everywhere. It, it really hit with a lot of people and there was a lot of discussions on it. So then guess what? It's getting talked about along with all the other films much more than it would have, a million times more than it would have mm-hmm. had it um, not gotten that kind of word of mouth. So... Yeah. That's how it works. Also, what have you guys made of uh, Boy and the Heron and Spider-Verse trading wins from these critics groups? Like, you get one, and you get one, and you get one. Like, we have an actual race for animated feature this year in, like, that I can remember. Like, I honestly, I, I can't tell you. I would assume that Spider-Verse <laughs> has the edge with the televised shows, but then again, does it? Like, it's a Miyazaki movie, and it's cleaning up um, Boy and the Heron. What do you guys think? I mean, I'll just say my personal opinion. I think both should be included for Best Picture. Um, I would nominate them both in a heartbeat. That's not going to happen because they're animated movies and they don't take animated films seriously. But um, I don't know. This is going to be a fun season where they're going to be like trading wins. Uh, I don't know which one's winning the Globe. I would assume Miyazaki's winning the Globe. Um, But it also could be Spider-Man. And by the way, they both ended up getting nominated for Best Original Score as well at the Globes, Boy on the Heron and Spider-Verse, which I'm very happy for both um, uh, Joe and for Daniel because those are their first ever nominations um, for uh, score. And does anyone doubt that Daniel Pemberton did not absolutely make the best score of the year? Like... Have you seen like these last few weeks there was clips that came out that part of the campaign for Spider-Verse is they have Daniel Pemberton with a full orchestra performing the whole score and there's like footage that came out of him doing the the music the whole movie. La- yeah, but from the last from the ending of the movie where where it really ramps up and mm-hmm. it has that crescendo like to me that I mean talk about can I just say this has been an amazing year in film. <laughs> Like these last two years, but this one specifically, and then also the endings to all of these movies are like hitting really, really hard. 
So I, I'm just like, as a film fan, I think we're eating really well with 2023. It has been exceptional. So it's not like any of these are like lacking. Um, and this might end up being the first time we get a 10 movie uh, set of nominees that doesn't include a coda, a green book, a bohemian rhapsody, a vice, a don't look up, the big short, uh, a revenant. Like, we actually might have films here that for the most part are like, yeah, those are the ones and they're all great. Um, so we're going to keep an eye out for that. Um, other nominees, uh, I was happy to see that the Globes did not disappoint in their salt burn love. They both, uh, they gave nominations to Barry Keoghan and to Rosamund Pike, uh, in actor and in supporting actress. And that was hilarious to see. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence got in for No Hard Feelings, and she was hilarious in that movie if you haven't seen it, so good for her. Um, Willem Dafoe got in for Poor Things, and he has not been getting in in a lot of these places. So are we looking at a possibility where both Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe get in for Poor Things come Oscar nominations morning? No. That, I mean, I don't think so, but I mean, one can hope. Um, mm. And Dafoe has gotten in before at, uh, at you know films that weren't considered big contenders so who knows he is i think somebody who is i think really appreciated in this group oh yeah um didn't he get in for at eternity's gate how, how should i fucking know i don't know why am i asking you I, forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be asking you at all um and then barbie got in for all three of its songs which cannot be repeated at the oscars because only two can get in but barbie got in for dance the night i'm just ken and what was i made for um, the Super Mario Brothers song got in, and I'm like, no, that's I'm not really a here's, song. Here's the thing. <laughs> People fucking love it. So be prepared for that Oscar nom. It's barely a be song, Be prepared though. for Jack Black to perform, to perform that live. I would. It's gonna happen. If he plays it live, I would love that for sure. It's gonna but happen. I think more than anything, I would rather have it be for score than for original song no. <laughs> um god that's that's hilarious um none of the wonka songs got in none of the color purple mm. songs got in none of the wish songs got in yeah like i said wish not even not even the so. nsync reunion song from trolls got in here good oh that one's yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean i haven't seen i haven't seen the i haven't seen the new trolls one but like i feel like that's kind of like an easy in <laughs> right like you think that would be an easy one to get in there um and and yet you know it didn't get in there um so what's winning i'm just ken or what was i made for right the stupid hollywood choice is what was i made for but the the right choice is i'm just ken let's be real that's the right choice it should win it easily should. Uh, i don't know <laughs> i really liked uh what was i made for now nah, even that. i got emotional <laughs> it, it is a great sequence for sure um we should also mention margot robbie and ryan gosling both got in 
to their categories uh, at the Globes. I would suspect Margot Robbie is not going to get in. Um, well, we'll see depending on how weak Color Purple is, but it, I don't think she's going to get in at the Oscars. But Gosling will. Do we think still RDJ has this and this Charles Melton thing is just a phase? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Charles <laughs> Melton from May, December. He's been <clears throat> winning all the critics prizes. Um, oh. Oh, oh, shit. I don't know. Mm. Because I, I would think I would think RDJ would have this, but at the same time, people are saying Bradley Cooper is going to win over Killian Murphy uh, for Best Actor. Uh, Bradley wants it more. <laughs> that's for damn sure. And he's campaigning. <laughs> he's campaigning for it. He wants it really, really bad. And oh, one thing that was surprising: Bradley, he he's he. This will not repeat at the Oscars because they don't like actors and directors. But it, it, that's that's their whole thing. But. Bradley got nominated for Best Director here at the Globes for Maestro, which I don't think he got. Maybe he, I, I have to check that out, but I'm not sure if he got in for Star is Born. Um, so just to keep an eye out for that, because I'm not sure anymore what's going on. But CC, I think like last year, Everything Everywhere All at Once won seven Oscars and it won three out of four actors. I don't think it's impossible that Oppenheimer, I'm not saying it's likely, but it's not impossible that it wins picture, director, lead actor, and supporting actor. And screenplay at that. Maybe. Like I, I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's um, what I'm thinking is going to happen. But It's not the stupidest thing you've said today. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and then the last one I want to talk about here, which is funny... Oh, no, no, no. The other thing, International Feature, the category, Anatomy of a Fall is in here, and it probably will win that or Zone of Interest. Um, Past Lives is also in here because um, half of it is in Korean and the other half is in English. Anatomy of a Fall, half of it's in English, half of it's in in French, but that's the reason why the French didn't select that movie for uh, consideration at the Academy Awards. And I was talking about this with with, with uh, Peter because this past week we saw two Japanese films. It is time for the Academy to dispense with the silly rule that you let the countries themselves submit just one movie for consideration because that is just ridiculous to me because yeah. there are at least three amazing foreign language films that are not going to be able, eligible for consideration because their countries did not submit them. France did not submit Anatomy of a Fall and then Japan, well... They didn't submit Godzilla, and they did not even submit The Boy and the Heron. You know what I think? Uh, like, each country should throw up at at most five movies, and then the Academy chooses But then they'd have to watch one. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And here we are, suckers fucking paying to see these things. Right? <laughs> And they can't be <sighs> whatever. That's that's the problem. Fuck them. Last right. thing before we move on, and and we have to talk about this because how can you not? Uh-huh. The cinematic and box office achievement award. I don't like that. I think that's dumb. <laughs> I think it's really dumb. Yeah. I, also, because <laughs> here's the thing. The the awards are fun and at the very least they matter to the people in the room yeah you know what i mean even if because to me it's like i don't give a fuck i give a fuck but i don't give a fuck 
But to the people in that room, it's like it's everything, right? It's not... No one gives a fuck about winning <laughs> best box office. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's because again, that's where the fun is. It's the speeches, it's the crying and the tears. Oh my god, I won! And it's like no one's like, oh, like who are they gonna throw up there for for best box office? I don't want to see some fucking CEO step up there. Like I, fuck you. Like I, yeah, I don't. Here's what I think. Uh, I, clearly. And this has always been apparent from the day that it was announced. This this category only exists so they can give Barbie an award. Mm-hmm. And Greta Gerwig and maybe even Margot Robbie will be those people that come up and give speeches. That's why this is even here. You think they give a fuck, though, about winning that award? I, th- I Maybe not as much as the actual, like, the real categories, but they'll go up there and say a few words, sure. It's... It's the equivalent of a participation trophy. It's- oh, I, f- I forgot to mention, <laughs> Greta Gerwig also got nominated for Best Director here for Barbie. Hmm. And we were, th- we were like a few months ago thinking, is that... Do we, do we think now that Greta will at least get nominated for Best Director at the Oscars? I can, I can see her getting nominated, yeah. I, I think she's got... I think she's, gonna, she's getting into that safe territory, which I'm happy about because what she did was kind of impossible. Anyway, with the, pulling that movie together. But real quick, the nominees for Best Box Office Achievement. Oh, my God. Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Although she didn't even make that much money, but okay. No, no. (laughs) Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse. See, This this is also why I think this is stupid, because wouldn't you just go by whatever made the most money? If yeah. this is an achievement in box office. Which is why it exists, right? Because Barbie made the most money. There it is. Okay. That's what that's why it's here. The other two nominees, which I think are hilarious, the Super Mario Brothers movie. And then finally, last but not least, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. Oh my god. It did make money. <laughs> so they want to give Taylor Swift an award. I, I think she'd show up for that. Yeah. Um so all I just say is, with the exception of maybe one of them, I think there are no bad movies here, which is what I would hope for. Yeah, but who cares, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you shouldn't care. But if you're gonna have this, at least have good not good movies be nominated. I think it's nice to have Mission Impossible just be given a shout out because I love that movie, but no one saw it. And I would much rather see. This is why this doesn't make any sense. Because what should be here is Sound of Freedom, probably. Because that was a big box office hit. Now I'm not. I'm not saying it should be because I wanted to be in there. But if you're gonna have like the rules of like, well, best box office achievement, that was a bigger hit than Mission Impossible. But clearly, it's not here because, well, we know why it's not here. Um. Anyway, that's where we are everybody uh oh real quick uh, oh my god last thing barbie got nine oppenheimer got eight and the rest you know how they are so anyway let's go ahead and get to the movies. barbie's barbie's gonna win all the um <laughs> all the awards all the technical awards you mean oppie barbie okay 
it's it's the it's the one blockbuster that they they give all the technical awards because they can't give them any of the the regular awards mm, like yeah. mad max or doom mm-hmm. or it, it's it's gonna be those like production design and shit like that mm-hmm. i'm just throwing that out there real quick did anybody like that furiosa trailer oh i loved it yeah it's cool how She's about a, uh, yeah go ahead go ahead on is perfect yeah uh, pick for that character so <laughs> how about the planet of the apes trailer i really liked it it was yeah, good intrigued. Uh, yeah i have high hopes for that because the guy directing that <laughs> is gonna direct legend of zelda so don't even get me started be... david oh my god i know well you know what I, at this point i'm just happy it's not an illumination film because she oh man but, that would have but it's me. sony though <laughs> Sony's yeah, worse, aren't they? But it, I mean, like I said, that the monkey movie looks good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. saying, if it had to be in Sony, they should have had Sony Animation do it. Uh, not yeah, Sony. But they, weren't, they weren't going to. Here's yeah. the thing: there is at least an ounce of hope with the 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 ball guy. Mm-hmm. There is no hope with Illumination. It is nothing they've never made a good film mm-hmm. not once so super mario was close but there's still not some from problems. what i've heard but <laughs> you still haven't seen it i refuse it's, oh, it's, okay. it's exactly I what i know it, it's gonna be so I don't give mm-hmm. david you've seen all, i think all the animated films what do you make of wish and elemental getting in but nimona and mutant mayhem not getting in it's because oh. they're disney that's what it is. Yeah, so. Saturday. Yes, Nemona and um, Turtles deserve far more than even Elemental. I would say Nemona should be the one winning the award. If if um, Spider Verse and um, Heron did not come out, Nemona, Nem- I would pick Nemona for to, like, best to win and everything. I need to see Nemona. Yeah, I need to see. It's that on one. Netflix. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. I've seen it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I the only uh, not to review Nemona. Uh, the ending is the only part that's a little iffy to me, but okay, it's, I get it. But either way, it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's a good. Yeah, I mean, one Netflix Netflix animated movies have a good track record of getting in. I really like Claws. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that was really so. Good. I would Plenty not enough. give up hope. Yeah. Bring it back is the is, it's directed by the guy who 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 pitched Despicable Me to. Uh, Illumination. Illumination. Interesting. Yeah. Oh God. Um that duck movie that's coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's crap. Oh it's... my god. Some of the worst trailers I've ever seen. I like you try to be against AI art and then you, you see that and it's like you throw your hands up because it's like would it be any different? Like <laughs> I feel like um uh What's his name? Oh God! What is um? Damn, I forgot already the guy's name. But um, Aquafina is way too overexposed in these animated movies. She's she's overexposed. She's way too overexposed. She's gonna mm-hmm. she's killed her career, I think. Because <laughs> she, I'm sorry, she overexposed herself. A lot of people do it. They hit big. They appear in like ten blockbusters in the next you know three years and it's like mm, you overdid it 
Mm. And you don't have the star power to, like, fight through it like someone like Chris Pratt or something. So. Also, um, I think Disney can take solace in this. They aren't the only animated film that isn't doing well. Apparently, the new Trolls movie is not doing as well as the other two did. Mm. And you know what? Yeah, but I think, you know what else happened, though? The last Trolls movie came out direct to digital. Yeah, this is what happens when you. This is what happens when you when you do direct to digital because people are going to be like, okay, I associate this brand now with watching it at home, and getting them to come back to the theater for it is a hard thing. Which using that to tie into something else that was announced, Disney is going to give proper theatrical releases to three animated films that were not able to do so during the pandemic and even after the pandemic. That's January. January, uh, I'll get the dates right now. But it's, oh, I don't care. Who cares? Well, I just know it's it's all three of them are sporadically throughout the month. Yeah, well, not, not just one month. It's actually like for a couple of months. It's from oh, January. No, no, no. It's from January to March or April because oh, so like each one a month. I think so. I think so. In fact, let me actually get it to you right now here. No, um, tell me the real dates. Jan- you don't want the dates? I, I, you should know the dates because I want people to go and see these. Soul is January 12th, Turning Red is February 9th, and Luca is on March 22nd. Now, people suspect that the only reason Disney is doing this is because they have no movies coming out at all for the first three months. And that may be true. No, that's um, probably true, yeah. But <laughs> I don't know, guys. I'm going to definitely watch these movies in theaters because mm-hmm. I, I felt robbed from not being able to see them at all. Here's another thing, and this is what people don't talk about. Um... When Disney was throwing their shit to Disney Plus, those were good movies. <laughs> yeah. And then when they started throwing that shit in theaters again, some of the worst films they've made in the past 10, 15 20 years. 20 years. Like Lightyear Sucked. Fucking, uh, what was Strange it? Strange World. Strange World. Um, it, it seems like Wish severely just under delivered it just didn't deliver mm-hmm. even if you don't say it's bad it's like not you know. a single song got in at the globes for best song when has a disney musical failed to get at least one song mm-hmm. into a nomination yeah it, for, and, and for, then they put in the peaches song from mario brothers for a film that was supposed to you know exemplify everything in the hundred years of animation it just landed like a fucking dud like <laughs> But people forget to mention that when they talk about, oh, why are Disney movies not working now? Is it because they got used to Disney Plus? It's like, sure, it's all that, but also they're just worse now. Like, Because <laughs> even back then, they at least had like, uh, and I know it was in theaters, but it was like very quickly shunted to Disney Plus, which is... Um, well, Raya, Raya. Oh, did Raya play in oh. theaters? No, I don't think so. I think it went straight to... Yeah, Raya was straight to Disney+. Plus. Okay, and Encanto... Yeah, Encanto just didn't do well at all at the box office. It, it got its ass kicked by Sing 2. At the same time. Yeah. But guess what? It was a hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, On, at home. Yeah. That was the problem, yeah. though. It was, it was a hit at home. And because of Disney+. Plus, So, I guess the hope is... That somebody at Disney is thinking on some level, 
that maybe it's time they release animated films in theaters that are good. And maybe that can change the narrative a little bit. Especially since they want... Um, I, I think they're actually pretty stunned how bad it's gotten. And they may even be nervous about how Inside Out 2 does, which it comes out in June. The thing is, with Disney, when they get skittish, they go back to what they know, which is sequels and, 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 and repeat. <laughs> but the thing that's pissed people off about them is sequels and repeats. Yeah. And so it's like they don't they don't have anything to sort of go back to right now. Yeah. And I, it's not, I, they got to evolve or die, I think. Mm, I mean, to They're me, like, Wish... Die, but, yeah. <laughs> like, to me, Wish is, like, the lowest of the Disney movies. Like, so, so, like, there's nothing really wrong about their new stuff. They're just not promoting it well. They've been putting it on Disney Plus instead of in theaters and not letting it run its course. Because Encanto, you know, it didn't last... It just wasn't in the theaters for long. And um, it's also um, not very helpful that that like what's happening right now at Disney Animation is the same thing happening to the MCU is that the critics have turned on them. They're not. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I agree. Because because remember, we talked about this. Um, you look at the reviews for some of those Marvel movies when they were hitting <laughs> fucking ridiculous. They they yeah. did not deserve the uh, the praise, the, the praise. Mm -hmm. And now it's like. Uh, they're not they're not sort of graded on a curve anymore mm -hmm. and then at the same time they're no longer graded on a curve they're also a little bit worse <laughs> so <laughs> they're so worse it, but also it's just it's just all coming from the same company and so like yeah, they're not just like yeah. looking at disney animation separately from marvel movie that's like no we're looking at everything that you are doing now mm -hmm. and they've been shit so now like whatever movie comes out next whether it's marvel animation or like anything else like they need to be tens now I, i'll be honest this is why i get really annoyed when people are like oh it's the politics is the reason why disney's we've been talking that. about that on this show yeah. for ad nauseum dude but please have your mm -hmm. say i mean no but like i'm not not even to get into it but the re as someone who's just talking about the movies the reason why that annoys me is because it's like fuck now they're gonna take the wrong thing away and it's just gonna be like it's going to be a shit movie, but like now there's there's not a gay person kissing for two seconds in the background. Like, congrats. You you fixed it. The movie still sucks. You know, <laughs> it, it, that's what it, like if you if you remove that lesbian kiss in Lightyear, it doesn't magically make Lightyear. I forgot movie. that even happened. Yeah. yeah. Remember when that was a fucking thing? Mm. I mean, I forgot the movie. <laughs> I never saw it and I already forgot it. Um, oh, that's right. You haven't been watching them at all lately, have you? I refuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the same reason I never saw Ant-Man. I never saw Captain Marvel. It's like, fuck them. Like, they suck. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm not... Same thing goes for, like, if you add them in, how does that make the movie bad? You know? Like, that's always my complaint, too, or is that they'll say, oh, like, you added this, you know, this two-second scene into this movie, and because it was so important to you, that movie was bad. And it's like, how does a two-second... But that's what I mean. It's like, cool, let's cut it out. Is this a good movie now? No, it still sucks. So it's yeah. like, I, I just don't want them to take the, the wrong things away. Um, mm -hmm. Well, did you see Bob Iger's comments lately? <laughs> yeah. Oh my did God. you see what he said there? He's saying mm -hmm. all the worst things. He, say, he was saying, like, maybe we care too much about the message... Which I, was, what message? Okay. That's always my question. <laughs> what message? What was the... 
okay that, whatever <laughs> but like yeah what message and then his other comment where it's like oh the the, the issue with a lot of these uh are the reasons our movies have been failing our blockbusters is because we weren't able to throw enough uh executives on set <laughs> he specifically singled out the Marvels, which is yet another way the company has just thrown Nia DaCosta under the bus. Like the, She's just like public enemy number one at Marvel and Disney over there. But the idea that, no, 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 the issue with the Marvel movies is that there isn't enough executive oversight. We need more. That's how it'll make the movie better. It's just like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason why I haven't seen a Disney movie in theaters for weeks, but I'll jump to see fucking... God, Godzilla minus one and the boy and the heron is not because an, an, an issue with wokeness or an issue with not enough executives or whatever it's because those looked fucking good mm-hmm. they looked like they were made by artists you know trying to tell stories and then the other one just felt like a very ugly commercials being trying to blasted in my face so yeah i gotta go ahead david go what's so funny about like what we're talking about right now we're basically saying the same thing as like the people who like hate the wokeness are saying like we're but we're not because it's not because there's a gay person there i know but it's like we just keep going to different directions in it though because like like you mentioned though it's like no i, I want to skip marvel movies and disney movies yeah. because the other movies found are more interesting they seem more important they seem to like care about the story that's literally what the people who like hate woke who wait who hate the woke stuff are saying but they lead it into like why are you pushing well, gay people in front of the in front of the screen why are you pushing women yeah. in front of the screen and all that but, but we're just kind of like your movies suck that's all it is <laughs> but the difference is is because those people are are they're being cynical they know what they're doing yeah um for sure. they're, they're doing it for well, well let's be fair they're, they're co-opting um some of them are just stupid and they're and they're, and they're, they're co-opted I don't, I don't think so no I, I think the not, major not, not, ones, not the people. No, no, not the major no, 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 ones. No, 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 people no, no, no. online well, or on Twitter. Well, they, well, let me finish what I was going to okay. say. Okay, all right, all right, <laughs> go, go. The 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 people on YouTube and and the the major people who will say stuff who've made Geeks a and career gamers. off of it. Um, sure. Uh, but the, the people who've made a career off of it, it's very cynical. Like I don't even think they believe. By the way, we got a comment lately about what we meant by the anti woke mob. This is it. This is it. Name them. Oh no, I'm I'm I don't believe I don't believe in wokeness. Do not um, tie me to <laughs> this other person. Um, just just because I'm a part of the show does not don't don't tie me to them. Okay, I <laughs> MCU. Um, <laughs> no, but um, the the people that like complain about like oh they're the wokeness is killing our movies uh, the ones that have like their big channels it's all cynical it's for money it's yeah. bullshit like it's it doesn't really mean anything but mm-hmm. the people that watch it i genuinely think um it's it's just about like the death of media literacy yeah i think people watch a movie and they don't like it and they're mm-hmm. angry about it and they but they don't know how to convey that anger they yeah. don't know how to like properly why say why they're angry so then they'll Go on YouTube and look up, you know, like Star Wars bad. And, and like the, the first videos they get are talking about like, well, the reason Star Wars is bad is 
because of Brie Larson somehow. And then, <laughs> and then that gives them an outlet to be like, oh, that's why the movie's bad. Okay. And then they, and because you'll see a lot of people when they start, that's one of the annoying things. You'll, you'll see them talk about movies and say why they think a movie's wrong or <laughs> right. You're like, oh my God, like I've heard this, what you're saying word for word 500 other times because like j- like you 500 other people heard one person say this and then just went okay and then just repeat it um and, and I, I really think it is people not being able to sort of engage with film and, and really get to the heart of why they think a movie is bad or why they think and it's a lot easier to just go like oh yeah wokeness and stuff and that's why i mm-hmm. think also in large part you see um the public in the large public interest in film and the future of film is just not there anymore because of that people mm-hmm. have lost the ability to interact with the fucking text basically and because they they yeah. do that they're not going to care as much about movies which is why box office receipts are down which is why ratings for award shows are down it's like there's a lot of reasons obviously but it's like who's gonna care about what's the best in film when you don't care about film in the first place and by the way i I think one of the biggest there's many examples but the easily the biggest example of of why i think these people the big channels are are knowingly um cynical is the way they reacted to barbie before Barbie came out, it was like, oh, it's going to be a man-hating bullshit, woke, it's going to fail, go woke, go broke. And then it was the biggest movie ever. And then it's like, well, it's technically not woke because it knows it's woke. Like, I saw some <laughs> dumbass excuses, but because <laughs> if, if your entire thing hinges on go woke, go broke, and then you have all these movies that are technically, that they would consider woke had mm-hmm. they gone broke but they didn't go broke so they can't consider them woke like spider-man across the spider-verse like barbie super mario they were like super oh, mario they, they were yeah they uh, were ready to to um skewer it alive and then it made all the money so it's like well we can't call it woke guardians um, <laughs> did that happen with guardians i don't, remember. I don't know if they did but guardians is woke I guess by I mean, the definition of it, it's not overwhelmingly it's, so, but I, mean, I think PETA literally gave James Gunn like an award. Yeah. I, think I saw that yeah, somewhere. Yeah. They did, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's cynical bullshit, right? And, and for me, obviously, I don't like it because it's like, it's it's just a way to create more homophobia and transphobia. Transphobia, but, all that, yeah. Yeah. But if it's like, it's also if like, if you care about movies, it's it doesn't get to the heart of what makes a film good or bad it's again it's it's kind of just bullshit snowflake crybaby like it didn't have my politics but but then like we said even half the time that's not even the issue it's just like a character had purple hair um <laughs> <laughs> It's embarrassing. It is. Right uh, now, the ones that are getting it really bad is Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard. Because mm-hmm. now that we have, there's there's a black doctor now. They had a oh, trans. Oh, no. They had a is trans, he gay? Is he a gay? He actually might be, actually. But um, <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, they supposedly, one of the old ones that came back, there was a, a hint that he may be attracted to men now. Oh, um, no. One, oh, no. This, that was confirmed in Capaldi's. 
uh, last oh, season. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. He said um, the master was uh, his first man crush. Here's, then, well, no, no, no. <laughs> there, was a, there was a clip that I saw back uh, when Andrew Garfield was on the show back in, in season three. And the doctor was like saying to him, you can kiss me if you want to. So maybe it was just <laughs> there the whole time. We just didn't even Here, see it. Here's the thing. If if this is some like eternal being, like millions of years old, he's a billion years old. Yeah, why in the fuck would he be straight? Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's be real. Like, like he mm-hmm. he would have zero hangups about anything. Like he has seen the craziest shit in the universe. You think a trans person is gonna throw him off? You think it's gonna be something where he's like, whoa, this just. What what is this in in front of the children? Like no. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the, those uh, three specials that were just released of Doctor Who, it was a great. I think showcase. were they good? They were actually really good. But also on top, I mean, th- these are the first good episodes in a long time. But at the same time, they were a great showcase for the power of representation. Because yeah, you had like a trans. Yeah, <laughs> you had a trans. You had a trans character Boo. here, and then you even had. One of the ones that I guess it's not as popular to, I don't know if you noticed this, David, if, if people were actually going after the character who was disabled, but there was one character who's in a wheelchair and there was even a scene where they actually made the TARDIS wheelchair accessible. Um, How dare they? And it's like, if you're somebody who is disabled and you're looking at that, that's amazing. That's awesome. Even the new doctor, it, this is the first, like, um, well... This is the first official black doctor. There was another one that I don't was consider her a doctor, bl- but like, yeah, th- uh, you have no idea. Okay, I don't care. What, Never yeah, mind. it's doctor like, who is. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's <laughs> it's the whole thing and everything. But I mean, this is a, as long as they don't have genders. I just I find it crazy how this whole woke mob is going after it now after what years of the doctor being changed from a man to a woman. Like no, they you, went they went after it then too. They did, yeah, they went, but it feels worse now somehow. That's the thing. It feels even more <laughs> that's stupid. True. It's like you'd think the height of it would have happened when Jodie Whittaker was the doctor, and now it's like, well, it, it this whole woke thing, people gle- gleaming onto that. It's like, uh, it's just an excuse for people to be hateful, hateful, and not and sort of have a shield against accusations of being hateful you know Mm -hmm. i don't i don't hate gay people i just hate forced or i don't hate minorities i just hate forced diversity Mm. i just hate when it's shoved down my throat like somehow it gets shoved down your throat it's like i don't hate gay people but episode three of the last of us like i did not like it because it forced it forced two gay people (laughs) it forced it forced them to do it it forced me to like watch two like two dudes kiss and shit and it's like dude come on Uh, before we move on, I also wanted to mention that the Producers Guild of America has announced that Martin Scorsese is the recipient of this year's uh, David O. Selznick Achievement Award for six decades of producing. And Scorsese, by the way, um, produced two films this year, not just his own, but then also Maestro. Spielberg also produced Maestro. Maestro. Maestro, and also produced The Color Purple alongside Oprah Winfrey. So, putting that out there. Let's get to some movies. So, um, finally, Miyazaki has come back in his right, first shut up. film. Let me read it. Okay, his first film in ten years. 
Yeah, um, no shit. Go no, to yeah, 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 yeah. We heard you. You've talked enough. All right. Fine. Okay. The Boy and the Heron, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. While the Second World War rages, the teenage Mahito, Mahito, <laughs> haunted by his mother's tragic death, is relocated from Tokyo to the serene rural home of his new stepmother, Natsuko, a woman who bears a striking resemblance to the boy's mother. As he tries to adjust, this strange new world grows ever stranger following the appearance of a persistent gray heron who perplexes and bed, bed of vials? Bed, whatever. Mahito, <laughs> dubbing him the long-awaited one. Directed by Hayao Miyazaki, starring... Oh, they don't have the American cast here. Or do they? No, Robert they Pattinson, Florence Christian Pugh, Bale. Christian Bale, Dave Bautista. Yeah, um, all those. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, yeah, yeah. So... Mm. Florence Pugh was a big surprise for me. And like, as soon as I remembered, as soon as I saw like who she played, I was like, oh, of course she did. Yeah. <laughs> Peter was surprised that Florence Pugh played both versions of that character. It wasn't just. Oh. oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, oh, you just found out yourself. Okay. Yeah. yeah I just yeah. found out. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. No, I got to say the voice cast here is, is pretty incredible. It, it may be. And people have been saying this is one of the best dubbed uh, Miyazaki films uh, from that standpoint. Um, and I think it, it shows you how much the voice acting has stuck with us because when uh, Peter was reading that description, both Eve and I were like, Maito, uh, from freaking Robert Pattinson, uh, who played the heron, which is just, I don't, I mean, I, that to me is the mark of how instantly memorable a lot of this stuff was, actually. Um, mm-hmm. You know? Um we have different, I think, uh, overall feelings about this particular movie, but I just think, to me, it's really cool that we have a film like this that is actually, I think, um, really challenging. It's not as accessible to mainstream audiences and that we can actually, like, talk about it and pick it apart and, like, see what each person, you know, comes away with feeling of it. it this is a film, I think more than anything it's about feeling um than you know anything else and you feel um, the movie you don't try and yeah decipher yeah. the logic of it right which you know to be fair some uh bad faith actors would use that in defense of other films that are truly horrendous but in this case i think it actually applies with what we're talking about before we even get to the movie i just want to say that this these last few months i um Thanks in large part to Peter Martinez, I really delved deep into the world of Hayao Miyazaki for the first time. Uh, A year ago for Christmas, he purchased uh, the Blu-ray of Princess Mononoke. Um, Which he never saw. I didn't see, but we did see Mononoke when it came on to the big screen, which I think is the the way to experience that movie for the first time, which is on the big screen. So we saw Mononoke. Um, I had previously seen Spirited Away. That was the only one I had seen before the fact. So I saw Mononoke. Then I think two weeks later, we we went back and saw Porco Rosso. Um, And then you became unavailable and we couldn't do the rest of them. But I went back and I saw Wind Rises, Howl's Moving Castle, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, The Castle in the Sky, Ponyo, uh, The uh, Secret Life, (laughs) not that that Secret Life, uh, 
my, my neighbor Totoro. Secret Life of Pets? No. My, <laughs> my neighbor <laughs> he directed Totoro. that one too. <laughs> my neighbor Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service. So I went back and watched all of them uh, in the next few weeks because I was, that's how obsessed I was with, with uh, this person and and the art that he was making and i just got to say it's like as somebody who has had a really polarized point of view of what animation was always supposed to be and thinking that disney was like the one that can most make claim to what um animation was and this is me from like seven eight years ago not me from now but just watching these movies like not only do all 11 of his Studio Ghibli movies stand as among the best animated films ever made. But I just think generally there are some, these 11 films are among the very best that ever will be made. And I think you can make a reasonable argument that Miyazaki um, has not made a bad movie out of these 11. Yeah, which is funny because I I'm I've of the of all of us I'm the least anime oriented. <laughs> That's true. And, That's uh, very true. <laughs> I was the one getting you to watch. Uh, yeah, Studio Ghibli, which is very funny to me. And yet, this is where we are. And, you know, what I've learned is, like with anything else, people have quite polarizing points of view about, like, which ones are their favorites and which ones they don't care about. Generally speaking, everybody knows going into it that the three people I think talk about the most are Spirited Away, Mononoke, and Howl's Moving Castle. Mm -hmm. And I think in large part because they came out in the late 90s and the 2000s. Um, So that's the ones that I I, I see of that gets the most fanfare. But to me, I got to say... The ones that really um, touched my heart the most in in different ways, mind you. And that's the thing about Miyazaki films. They have similar themes, but they're all kind of different as well. I really like vibed with Kiki's and Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises. That movie, especially people don't talk about that one a lot. Up until recently, that was the last movie. But that one devastated me. Uh, That was a beautiful, beautiful movie but a heartbreaking film as well. Um, and even the ones that I wouldn't say that I like, even the ones that are at the, at the end of the pack, I still really liked. Like, you know, one, I didn't get a chance to really interact with too much because I was watching other things, but I enjoyed, but I, I probably should go back and revisit Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind. Um, oh, I love that one, yeah. That one... And that one's one. Of, I think that's the oldest one out of all of these movies. That's his Dune. <laughs> yeah, but it, I got a lot of Dune vibes from that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, if you've seen it, David, which ones have you seen? Um, Totoro, um, Kiki's uh, from Miyazaki's. I, I can, I mean, name them all, but like I know, yeah, Totoro, Kiki's, House Moving Castle, uh, Mononoke, Mononoke, Spirit yes. Away? Yes. Well, I saw it as a kid. I don't remember it. Though, okay. So I gotta rewatch it. Um. Yeah. Those ones. I think the ones with that weren't Miyazaki though. Whereas, um, Castle, the Heart. Would... Okay. But what about Castle in the Sky or Nausicaa? No, not. And, mm. and not Porco Rosso or Wind Rises. No. Okay. But other ones mm-hmm. you've seen from uh, Ghibli. 
Yeah, uh, Whisper of the Heart, which is my favorite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ponyo. And he directed Ponyo. Which one? He directed Ponyo. Oh, he did? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? I can't remember. Oh, well. The Secret uh, Life Grim- of... No, oh, I remember The now. Secret uh, Life of Grim of the Fireflies, right? Oh, that's mm-hmm. one. Uh, no, the one that wasn't directed by Miyazaki was um, uh, that's that, Secret that's... World of Arietti. Oh. Yeah, The Secret World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. One. That one's like probably my second favorite, honestly, out of all of them. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, so here we have The Boy and the Heron, mm-hmm. which in many ways uh, is unique, uh, you know, when compared to the rest of his movies. Because this one is just far more meditative and contemplative in nature. It is very deliberate uh, with, you know, its its use of time here. This one, I think, moves the furthest away from a typical story act structure, which, to be fair, not that most of his films even... I guess adhere to that. Some of them didn't even do that outright, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things that he does here that to me are just quite fascinating. I got to say to me, I liked the film a lot when I watched it. I like it even more now thinking about it. And let me just say, just going off of feeling, I had a great time watching it because we had an actual, I think the Studio Ghibli crowd showed up because people were like really interacting with the film. They were laughing at all the right moments um, that they were supposed to laugh and it made it for a really engaging experience. Um, And I liked it a lot when I, you know, watched it the first time, but I don't, I, I didn't really like know what to make of most of what I saw initially, you know? But the one thing that I I will say is this has refused to leave my mind. I've been thinking about this movie like every day and and trying to like, not not just with moments, but just trying to really get to the heart of like what was communicated and and, and what was, you know, all of that was there. Uh, You know, a big part of remembering a lot of what happened is listening to the score nonstop, which, you know... Uh, Joe Hashishi has made like so many wonderful scores. All of the scores for Miyazaki, I think they're all amazing and they're all worthy of awards and everything. This one is, I don't know what it is, but the sound on this one just keeps bringing me back and back. Um, this may not be the last comparison to Fablemans because it's interesting, but like, like it, and I know some won't believe it when I say that when I watched Fablemans for the first time, I wasn't like madly in love with it. I actually hmm. wasn't. Um, you got there. But that's what I'm trying to say is I think I'm going to get there with this one if I'm not mm-hmm. there already, you know? Like mm-hmm. th- this is just one of the films that's just refused to leave me, which ultimately I think is the mark of a truly great movie is when it stays with you and it lives with you. And I think in a similar vein how Marty was trying to do with killers. I think that's what Miyazaki was doing with this film. It's like, it's, it's, this is the intended purpose is to stay with you and to, and to make you keep wondering and thinking about what is at play here. So this is a really interesting piece of work. Um, it was 
a wholly unique experience that is really unparalleled to any of the other experiences I've had just this year. The idea that we have a film by Hayao Miyazaki at 82 years old in 2023 is amazing. And I will say, to me, I think I appreciated and interacted a lot more with this movie after having seen the rest of his other films. I don't think mm-hmm. I would have gotten a lot out of what I did out of this movie if I only had seen maybe one or two or three. So that's what I'll say first. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's hard to talk about this movie because I really think I need to see it like two or three more times yeah. to, um, to really absorb it. There's a lot that I love about it. Um, but I, I do agree, and I, and I said this to you, it kind of reminds me a bit of Fableman's in that, not in quality, god no. Um, but in <laughs> two, that, of, two of the three of us here placed it at, uh, what was it, David, you had it at number two? Uh, yeah, at, at your so. list of top 10 2022, I had it at number one. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, All just, right. okay. just, you know, taste is subjective, it's, you know. Apparently. Apparently. Um, but it's very, I, I think it's, it's such a personal film that there, for me to even latch on to sort of where the movie is going and what it's trying to say, having an understanding of the artist behind it itself and and his history and where he is in his life right now um, is almost necessary. And, and it's it, it sort of, that's where you start to see the meaning come from. Uh, especially this idea of this other world created and it's it's fake and it's not great but he tries to make it great like there's a lot in there obviously that i think he's drawing from it it's it's it, it does feel a lot like uh, a man at the end of his life sort of looking back and going like well fuck like what what almost did i live right you know yeah because it's less about how do you live and almost questioning his life i don't know how did i live maybe yeah basically yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um but again maybe i watch it again and i'm like oh my god i was so fucking wrong that's not it at all Cause yeah, it's it's very it's his I it's easily his most personal movie, personal film maybe it, it's his film that's the most like you said you have to feel it rather than mm-hmm. try to understand it almost understand immediately. It. Yeah, one one. I'm one. not sure it's possible to understand it on a first watch. I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe for smarter people. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It's just I, when I, when I came out of it, you know. I was just kind of like... I you love. hated it. <laughs> you sent us a message. You were telling us. I don't like it as much as you guys did. I'll yeah. say that. Because me and Alan were discussing it. Hate was a word thrown around for you. <laughs> Alan and I were discussing it. And, you know, she was the one that's like really trying to figure out like, oh, I mean, she she was even looking up stuff. She, she put she up mentioned the- whiteboards. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, she mentioned it in the group chat, but like some people were saying that this is like autobiographical. And she was the one trying to f- 
put in the puzzles but like the more she kept bringing up stuff the more i'm like okay but then why didn't he do this and this and this and like the biggest tell for me that i'm like i don't know if this is like his best movie is when i talked about it with uh soto alexis soto and oh, you were that like, asshole <laughs> and he was like in the first viewing i got confused i didn't know that was the mom <laughs> like the little girl and i was like i don't blame you for that because okay this is just uh, i'll say it this is anime racism on on my end um i i got confused about which one was the sister and which one was his birth mother because there would be like this the older lady in like the 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 other world and it's like wait is this is like who is this Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I know they're supposed to look alike too, but also anime faces can all look alike sometimes, and it throws um, me off. Did we ever see what the mom looked like? Like that's the problem too. <laughs> uh, not well, in the beginning, of? but we saw her when the gray heron brought him to the building, and we see her like her body laying in that couch. But we didn't see her face, did we? Yeah, we did. We, see we her did. Face. We did. Okay. Yeah. But see, that's the thing. But she's also kind of wearing the same shit that the sister is, like this white robe. Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm. the only difference is their hair color. And that's, and, you know, in this one part where you see this lady like shoot fire um, in the ocean, and I noticed the black hair, and I'm like, oh, is that his mom? But Uh like, the main kid didn't react to that. Like, he couldn't tell whether that was his mom or something. And I thought he would react when the lady said the name, you know. Like, is that not your mom's name or something? And yeah, then we right. see the little girl version of her. I'm like, how are you? Okay, are you not piecing it together? Are you? Do you not are know you, if this? You're like, are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> yeah, because he because she literally says like, oh yeah, that's my sister, and he's like, there's not even a moment of him registering like, well, your sister. Also because Wait. he pieced it together real fucking quick with the older the other lady. Um, that's true. Um, uh, the- Kiriko. Kiriko. Yeah, when the yeah. old lady basically became young, and he's like, wait a minute, this is you. And, like, he had all the evidence right there, so I couldn't you piece together that was your mom <laughs> that you were hanging out with the whole time. And how is there not a moment of you being, like, you have... Oh, like, uh, oh, my like, God, it's my mom. Yeah, of like, you maybe trying to connect with her more, like, now that you lost her or something like that. And so, it's just... Uh, that's my biggest complaint in this so- movie. It's just, like, I feel like there's a lot of things missing in the middle where, at the end, some of the payoffs, I'm just kind of, like... What were you trying to go for here? What do you think happened there with with that element here? Do you think it was just something that was overlooked by Miyazaki to make it clearer? Was there something lost in the translation? Is it just something that we were supposed to have inferred? Like because that the I like David was saying by the end of the film when they're all escaping from that realm, it, like she says that I have to go back and you know to be born and be your mom and I'm. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I'm yeah. like, I, I was. I do just think like, there should have been a moment, like, and I was expecting it, and it never came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, where it clicks, where he's like, oh, like this is my mom. Mm-hmm. I was honestly even hoping for when they made it outside the realm, the realm, and then uh, Mahito's dad sees him and like he's about to save him. I thought I honestly thought there was gonna be a moment where he was just like, 
wait, is that? Like, he notices, like, that's his wife, like, younger, and he's just like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? But, no, he was just straight up ran towards Mahito, and then gets attacked by birds. <laughs> mm. Parakeets. But, parakeets, yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, there's also, like, a, a lot of other stuff missing, like, when the, um, the great-grand-grand-uncle was like, I want you to, um, uh, be the new protector of this world or something like that and i'm just kind of like okay why him <laughs> like i don't i didn't see anything that he's done in this world that like makes me think that he he's gonna be like good fit for it or something like that the, i don't understand well, like i think the only thing that was explained in the movie was because only members of his bloodline can do it and he's the only one well what the thing though his mom is in that world and she seems to have full control <laughs> of her mm. magic. Why couldn't he have done that too with her? You know? I think ultimately the reason for that was because there was a parallel that Miyazaki wanted uh, between the granduncle and Mahito, which was this whole, you know, this notion of this grandmaster passing on what he has learned and entrusting it to the next generation to continue his work. And I think some of the readings of this film, particularly with that moment, was the idea that that just can't be. Like, and I think like in in some ways people would think that Miyazaki is both the granduncle and Mahito at different times of his life. Because mm -hmm. I think what what I can read off of the movie is that Miyazaki sees Mahito as him, as a youth. And, and seeing the world that he was born into. Clearly, this is the 1940s and everything that is the timeline. But then you have the granduncle who is at the very last moments of his life where Miyazaki is right now. And you could make the argument that through this whole presentation. Yeah. He, go ahead. I was going to say, it just kind of, it almost feels like a conversation with himself. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I. That's um, why I feel it. It, but it had to be Mahito, but I'm see, not sure if it answers your. This I is, guess story problems. Yeah. But this is why I felt that the film should have explained even less. Mm, okay, I, like that was that was my issue. It, it's the it took several moments to be like actually the tower is a meteor from space, and da da da, da and it's like we don't need all that. Like like yeah. Because that also just, confused me more because I wasn't quite sure what this was when they added when you, that into it either. When you try to explain it, it makes me feel like that's what I should be paying attention to. When clearly it's not, I, yeah. I, I don't think. Because yeah. um, for me, the film is very, and I mean, there are allusions to it throughout, like very Alice in Wonderland, very mm. wiz Wizard of Oz. Like, you know how in the Wizard of Oz, it's like people from real life appear like um, here, like. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also, like, you know, Alice, she had to, to fall through the rabbit hole and, and, and down into the world. Mahito has to crawl through that that um, sort hole. of hole in the ground to, to, to try and find this other world. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it, it's allusions to other worlds that deliberately don't make sense. Like, like it's all about sort of what, what it represents more than the world having strict rules and like these mm -hmm. you know we talk about this like there's there's fantasy worlds where it's like magic seven nine says that you cannot create a fire spell un until 
da 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 blah, 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 you know bullshit and then yeah other stuff like this where it's just you just feel it it, it shit just comes mm-hmm. at you um and so yeah for me i think when you when you give just a little bit of explanation then it just creates more questions that you then need more explanations for mm-hmm. so it's much better to just not even give that little it's just it's a fucking tower that's been there maybe forever maybe not who knows it's just there and really and who cares it. because that's not what the and movie cares, is here to right? do ultimately yeah. mm-hmm. no yeah and i get that too like you know i totally agree like less explain less of the magic even mm-hmm. go crazy with the magic without even explaining do whatever it. you know but yeah. like which i, think I just the wanted film more does do it t- points where like oh, yeah, sometimes sure. it would transition and I'm to a different scene and I'm like, why are we here? How do we get? Here? I don't fucking know. Yeah. I'm, I'm remember, feeling it though. I'm vibing it. Yeah, I know. I remember when um you know he was with the old like younger version of the old lady and then he goes through this like whole forest and all that and then he gets teleported by his mom through the fire and we're basically back in the ocean. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, did we just go in a circle or something like that? And like I didn't mind that. I just found it funny. Um, but I just kind of wish we had like a bit more character stuff with Mahito and just mm. like what actually led to the connection between these two. Like, what is it about Mahito and the great granduncle that's like there is a connection here? It didn't have, even have to be about magic. It could have just been like we could have like learned more about his I backstory. Just don't, I don't think there's a specific connection. I'll be honest. I I, I think it's mm-hmm. more of just it's less about like there's this one thing tying them together, and like I said, it, it's more of these two different uh, it it feels like Miyazaki at two different points in his life that's, that's what I like. I feel as well but I think from the story that we get here another element at play here is grief right I think ultimately mm-hmm. what brings Mahito all the way up to the granduncle was because you know what the gray heron uh originally says to him that his mom is Mahito. alive right right that Your his mom is alive <laughs> That his mother Your is alive. Is requested. His presence is requested. Right. That his mother is alive in a different realm. And I, you know, I think to me one of the more powerful elements of the film was the way grief was handled here, not in in I guess uh, the most outwardly emotional of ways, but you know, throughout most of the film, you can read a lot about what is on Mahito's mind, especially with this situation of a year later, his mom basically being replaced by, I guess, his aunt. And then even in their very first interaction, when she has the gall to say, I'm going to be your new mom. I love how some people reacted behind us of like, oh my, did she do that? Did she just like, say that? who the hell are you, <laughs> bitch? <laughs> and you know, basically. And, and Mahito tries to be, pol- and he, yeah, he is polite the whole way through. You but can, then, but... I, I really like the characterization of Maito because you can tell there's just this underlying simmering emotion to him. And anger. He, and, yeah. Yeah. But he puts on this facade of like very prim and proper kid. But there's something underneath it where it's it's, it's all those emotions unresolved. Like And sometimes it, it slips out because I love that sequence where he just visits her just to get like what? Cigarettes? He doesn't even care. He just. Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> okay. Bye. I hope you get better. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. She's like freaking out, dying. <laughs> like, okay, bye. That was that was legitimately funny. Even in the, in mm-hmm. in the dismissive way he treats, um, what was it, Nariko? 
when she tries to get cigarettes out of him, or even when she tries to get him to not, or even the, his whole attitude towards the heron. He did not like that heron from the very beginning. He was out of his way to go kick to its kill ass. Kill that motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> so, and I think that that's unique. You know, we don't see a lot of that um, mm-hmm. in most movies. And I have to, I have to say also, um, I really ended up liking a lot the not just the design but the character of the gray heron. Um yeah. and I think Robert yeah. Pattinson really I think um delivered a completely unrecognizable performance that I'm I'm already remembering. I mean we're, we're even quoting the damn lines that he says. <laughs> yeah. Um that The f- only reason I know the boy's name is because <laughs> Mayito. I love that first initial scene where he's like, <laughs> and like all oh, the fish and the frogs are just like, that was a really creepy sequence, but that was beautiful he, too. Also, Miyazaki just has a thing for this movie for like a shit ton of little creatures, like just devouring the screen right. where they just like all stack yeah. on top of it. So that happens like three times. It absolutely does. And then there's also this other thing what's the deal with like we have herons we have pelicans and we have parakeets mm-hmm. well yeah see that's what kind of led me to like oh this is like the world of miyazaki yeah it, 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 because he's he's always been and again that's where like insight into him and his work sort of and that's how i was able to piece it together because my mm-hmm. theory was well I'm sure he must like birds a lot because he's always had a fascination with airplanes and flying. And you see a lot of that in in, in, in his movies, particularly with Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises. Um, but here it's like, well, if, if the grand uncle is basically a stand-in for Hayao Miyazaki right now and the world that he would create for himself, well, yeah, it makes sense that he'd have nothing but winged creatures around him because that's... Ultimately, I think he has a, a kinship with those creatures because Miyazaki, ultimately, I think all he's ever wanted to do in life was just be a beast that flies in the sky mm-hmm. and then be left to his own devices. You Away know? from humankind. Yeah, I mean, it's like that meme from Futurama of Professor Farnsworth saying, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And then he just leaves. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really been the story of his whole life, which ultimately comes back at play here, which is the offer that he makes his younger self, I mean, the younger stand-in of himself, Mahito, is like, you, and I, I love the line that he throws back He's like, at, you can do it better. You can do it better. And then when Mahito makes the choice to not stay, and it's like, you would rather live in a world of murderers and destruction. I think he was even talking, he was even, there was a line that he said about the uh, upcoming atomic bomb that would be, uh, dropped on Japan because this was still b- at this point in time before that happened in World War II during the war. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next part we'll get to. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll get to that. But um, there's also just a lot of lovely sequences and, and designs. And like to me, another aspect that helps, I think, really get to liking the movie is. A lot of the stylistic um, designs and ambiances of, of his other movies come at play here. Even the Wara Wara, which that sequence kind of, you know, it, it moved me on, on, on a kind of like a, I don't know, spiritual level. And it kind of reminded me a lot of Soul. 
you know oh yeah obviously it, yeah. it really because mm. the wara wara was just like they're, they're the souls that will be born uh, on our earth it kind of i think maybe did a little better than soul um just you know, just a, a little bit you know i, I like soul but i i wasn't I, I wasn't like i don't love soul i know some people love soul but i like mm. it i wish i loved soul i think soul had more problems uh as a movie then but i mean I, I love what it was going for um <laughs> and the emotional moments hit there I uh, wish they understood what they were going for before they started filming. Yeah. <laughs> started making it. That's, nah, yeah. That's, that's what happened there. Um, but you also get some truly like harrowing things that you see, like the Pelicans being burned alive and one of them voiced by Willem Dafoe that's just dying there, asking for Mahito to put him out of his misery. Um, you know, just, classic stuff like that that you see even the the dark comedy of the parakeets having like knives behind their backs i mean that was funny that was really funny that yeah was so funny. those parakeets are assholes <laughs> dude me and Alec cannot stop laughing in the moment where mahito got kidnapped like he was chained up and then you see the parakeets in the kitchen and <laughs> you see the heron just walking right in the bottom of the screen disguised as a parrot and, just, and everyone in the audience at the same time went what the fuck <laughs> he's like right there <laughs> like, like i'm not kidding you like we all raise our hand like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny oh my gosh um no yeah but there's some things i did like about this i've been like kind of no like, sure before, sure but like yeah but like uh i mentioned it's like the score might be one of my favorites in dude, all of- oh it's score. a great score yeah dude like the second you see the heron like does that zoom in of the heron and you just get that one note? I'm just like, oh, well, like I, the score, but the animation, <laughs> the animation in this movie, dude. I mean, we For didn't sure. mention it because it goes without say, but there were some yeah. truly amazing, spectacular sequences. Mahito running into the fire. Mm-hmm. That was just like, ooh. I, know, I love it too. But, but yeah, the score no, you were the saying. Sc- the score just like it really captured like what he was trying to do in this movie, which is just can I give you like this dreamlike world yes. to like put you in and just almost like transition you in and everything. Because again, like in the other scores, uh, Totoro and every, like that was just like it's all fun and mm. everything. Ponyo like, too. It, it, Ponyo is fun. Um, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Kiki's, I know that one always stood out to right. me. But like, it's always just been fun, and that's always his. That's always his movies. It's just they're all fun. This one though, like he was going for something very different, and the composer just caught that completely. It was great. <laughs> yeah, there, there was some of the tracks, especially when they're like um, in some of the more cosmic elements, kind of reminded me a little bit of like Zimmer's score, Hans Zimmer's score from Inception, a little bit. Um, hmm. I don't know. Is this the best score? No. To me it is, just because it's it this one sticks with me more than the other ones. I think it's a beautiful score. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the best. I still think uh Ludwig Harrison for um No, I, I meant is this the best of, of his, Joe's. Joe Hishayushi from the, oh. the Miyazaki movies. Not not the not the best score. Does of the he year. do the score for Princess Mononoke? He does the score for all of Miyazaki's films. Okay, because Maranoke's score goes fucking hard. It does. <laughs> but then Spirited it Away. very hard. Yeah, that's true. But they're all great. That's the problem, though. It's like... Yeah. Um, I'm thinking there may be a chance he gets the Academy Award nomination now, because the Globes nominated him today. I, I think we might have a possibility here. 
That'll be his first ever nomination. I'm hoping so. Our first ever for that. Um, there's so much uh, other little things. I oh that that scene where Mahito is like bludgeoning himself with a rock. That and the blood oh, was God. like that was like what the <laughs> fuck. I mean, we've I was all been laughing. There. I was gonna laugh just because it was like that's too much blood. You're dead. I was gonna say that that fucker is dead. Like that, he <laughs> yeah. was hemorrhaging. Oh my god, that was a lot of blood. And then he just kind of looks forward, like, like I thought he was gonna like to take two steps and then like pass out from blood loss. That's what should have happened. I thought the all the grandma caretakers were hilarious. Just even they were great. Their, every all of their interactions were mm. amazing. Um. Even it reminded me of the sluts from Princess Mononoke. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, even Christian Bale, he has a small role here, but... He, oh, he does? The father. He's the father. Oh, he is? Yeah, yeah. Christian Bale. The father is funny. Yeah, he, that's yeah. why. It's like when he says to Mahito, you have to have your vengeance. That made everybody in the audience laugh. Um after, because uh, you know, they think that someone had beat the crap out of him, and it was it wasn't that at all. Um, I thought that was great because usually those father, I, 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 I felt like the father character is going to be very fatherly, like stern, like no, this was a different dad. And, but this is he's he's just like a like a jock. Yeah, I mean he's guy. a weapons manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, and I think you. Oh no no no! But what did he manufacture? Oh, planes. Planes. planes, planes. That's right. Not weapons. Sorry, my mistake. Web. Well, technically, planes. They qualify as weapons, do they not? He, Hayao Miyazaki made a whole movie struggling <laughs> with that. Okay, you should. It's called The Wind Rises. <laughs> that's true. Um, I really liked um the character of Kiriko and Florence Pugh. I think did an amazing job with the voice acting. Uh, for. Mm-hmm. Both versions of that character. Um, oh, and by the way, was I the only one that really wanted to eat that piece of toast with the butter and the jam? Yes, yes only you. <laughs> <laughs> that that looked absolutely insatiable. I mean, how could you say that was no great. to that? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> always nice to see Mark Hamill. It's hard to believe this is only his second role with Miyazaki. He's this, the other one was with Castle in the Sky, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Castle in the Sky. Uh, that was his. His uh, what do you call it? His Indiana Jones, I guess. Yeah. That was yeah. his. Um, that, yeah, because they have like uh, sky pirates. Did you guys pick up on Mark Hamill immediately? It took me a couple of minutes. I was like, oh yeah, that's no, Mark Hamill. not right away. No, right away for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they had a lot of similar voices. Like Robert Pattinson, and then the fucking Green Goblin, and then Mark Hamill. Oh, Bautista, when, I picked up immediately. Well, yeah, but I'm saying those Who other three, he? when they're the parakeet, they hitting the parakeet similar King. vibes. Parakeet King. Makes sense. <laughs> but I was saying voice-wise, they were hitting similar vibes, so they were blending a bit. Like, when I first mm-hmm. saw the trailer... I thought like, uh, oh yeah, Willem Dafoe's the the fucking heron. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, or the the, for the sure. pelican. No, I mean when I first saw the trailer. Oh, okay, I see what you're trailer. saying. Okay, 
I thought for sure Defoe would be the heron. Defoe was the heron because I was listening to the voice and I was like, oh, that's this sounds like a very Defoe type voice. But then I kept listening to it. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't sound like Defoe. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck is this? It didn't sound like anybody. I mean, yeah. that's how we, we know now that it's Robert Pattinson. And then when they were, they said Robert, Pat, Robert Pattinson, I was like, what the fuck? I know. I really want to see behind the scenes oh, <laughs> of that. Oh, the way he did it. We should also mention, um, I don't know too much about this actor, Luca Padovan. He played Mahito. Hmm. Mahito. <laughs> uh, which, yeah. I don't... Honestly, you'd be hard-pressed to find a single weak link. I think, uh, especially when the voice acting is concerned with this movie. No, but you know what? Even at the end of it, I, I agree with you, David. I think those are, are, are real issues to have with the film. Um, but like with anything else, um, there are two things to keep in mind, right? Like whether or not Issues like that really get in the way of you overall liking something. And then Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, another reality is sometimes movies hit and sometimes they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. But another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, movies change and evolve throughout time. And I can certainly say that for me, the more times I watch a film, I get a different experience. If it's a good movie, I get a different experience. I get more out of it. And... Um, sometimes it, it takes a couple of watches to really get to something for sure. Um, but I think all of us are in agreement in the idea that this requires more than one and maybe even two viewings to really kind of like, maybe not vibe with it, but just kind of like come close to understanding if that's what you mm-hmm. are inclined to do. But we're all of the persuasion that this is just one of the films that is just, you feel it. Maybe you don't, you don't yeah. understand it. But it's a beautiful freaking movie, and I, you know, yeah. the idea that we that it exists and it's by Hayao Miyazaki, uh, it's a treasure. It, it really is. It, it's a movie I don't think any of us um, ever expected um, that we'd get. And supposedly, it ain't the last one. <laughs> uh, there was something I read this week that uh, Miyazaki is waiting for the the film to open and close so he can get. Started on the next one, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, hoping he lives long enough. Maybe uh, when he turns ninety-two, we'll get the next one in ten years. So, that is the boy and the heron. Uh, by the way, before we close out this section, it opened number one at the domestic box office, the first ever for a Studio Ghibli film, the first ever for Hayao Miyazaki. That is historic. Uh, you keep got to keep in mind, of course, that this is. To an extent, niche because it is anime. It's not animation that is, you know, we're used to here in the states. But you can tell uh, how much of an audience it's garnered that it ended up making the impact that it did. And then also with the next film, Godzilla minus one, for it to have opened a close third behind Hunger Games, um, it, it, it was just a great week for Japanese cinema. And I gotta say. Um, Peter and I had the pleasure of seeing Godzilla and Boy and the Heron back to back. That was an absolutely amazing double feature. Uh, and it, it, if uh, people are able to do that in their own theaters, I would recommend you do that because that was absolutely an unforgettable experience. So with that being the case, uh, Peter, can you get your phone out and read the description? Godzilla. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Directed by Takashi Yamazaki. Post-war Japan. From zero to minus. 
In post-war Japan, a new terror rises. Will the devastated people be able to survive, let alone fight back? Yeah, that's it. Uh, (laughs) Starring a lot of names I will butcher, so I will not read them. Yeah, Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Uh, Originally, we weren't going to watch this one. But, you know, being the very stable genius that I am, I suggested to Mr. Soto, let's have a a Japanese double feature. And we did. We saw Godzilla Minus One, and then we saw The Boy and the Heron. And I think that was a great idea. It was an amazing idea. It's one of the best I've ever had. I think to me, it was probably my... One of the best. One of the best that ever will be had. Um, I think it was like the best double feature in a while. Oh yeah. In a while. And I think the best double features pair well with each other and somehow have like things to say to each other. And I think I got a lot out of both movies having seen them basically one after the other. Um, it helps that, um, the idea that the Japanese culture has in large part been defined by what happened to them um, post-World War II uh, plays I mean, a lot into it. Atomic bombs leave scars. I don't know what to tell you. They, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I assume David, David, as you all know him, um, I assume that me and him have a love for Godzilla. Is this correct, David? Um, not as big as you. You right, seen like you. the original. <laughs> you seen the original like Godzilla movies and all that. But me, like I, I mostly just enjoyed. It. This is the first time I've seen like the real concept. Okay, of Godzilla. so no. I guess so. I don't know. I, I want to say I want to say I'm not a fan though. That's the thing. <laughs> all right, so I guess me, I'm the only one that grew up on the the awesome Japanese originals. Had the VH for uh, Godzilla, Son of Godzilla. Um, I saw oh, I the VHS for the 1984. Saw the original. Saw I saw endless ones. Monster Island, All Monsters Attack, Rodan, Mothra, uh, Ghidorah, J- Jaguar. Big big fan of uh, Gojira. So, I was really excited to see this one, and I had a hell of a time. But what I think is so, I've it's been really encouraging seeing is a lot of people that aren't, you know, a Godzilla head like myself, have also really been loving the film. So, um, speaking to two others who have not really experienced a Toho Godzilla film before. Um, would you would you agree with that sentiment? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is, I mean, I've only seen like the American versions of Godzilla, even that other one, but from early, I don't know, was it early two thousands? <laughs> oh, you mean the uh, the Roland Emmerich? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah That's yeah. the late nineteen nineties. Ah okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I really did love this movie. It's probably for sure 
the best ones <laughs> that I've seen. So best Godzilla. Yeah, for sure. Oh shit. Okay. Um, well, what about you, Mister Soto? Well, I definitely don't mince words uh, when it comes to monster movies. I got to say, like to me, kaiju films are definitely an acquired taste. I feel on some level you like them or you don't, right? You vibe with them or you don't. Um, They're a vibe, yeah. yeah. And I get that. And I think for me, the the with the type of movie that Godzilla movies are, like a kaiju film. I would say that I haven't really loved a single one of them. The closest I've ever come to loving a kaiju film was Guillermo del Toro's kaiju movie, which was Pacific Rim, which is awesome. It, by the way, is celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. I can't believe nobody, well, I can't believe it, but I, I wish somebody would have played it to put it back in theaters because that's an amazing film. Re-release, I know, hell yeah. seriously, that, that, somebody should have. Some, I, I don't know what's going on with that, but hey, it's an amazing movie. Um, and I think for me, what I liked about Pacific Rim was that there was more effort to have some kind of characterization. And that's a big part of me being able to connect with films and stories, particularly with disaster films. Now, I, disaster films is a genre I actually do like because I love Roland Emmerich movies. Like, I, I mean, they're see, that's the thing. This is where I, I call foul because I can I can enjoy myself a disaster movie. Disaster movies are no different. They're not than kaiju They're actually films. not. And yeah. that the characters and the story are bull. Yeah. It's it's all about the the ridiculous spectacle of of destruction. Right. And I gotta say, I, it's not like I viciously disliked a single I mean the ones that I have seen. I've seen Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh I never saw Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, and I kinda don't have any interest in it because uh, having seen the creator, maybe uh maybe I, I don't really like him as a filmmaker. I mean, he he's great visually, but from a script standpoint, I don't, I'm not seeing it. it he's very empty. Yeah, from mm-hmm. a script but I, I people are are always like very mixed on on his Godzilla. I never saw it back in 2014. I did see Godzilla King of the Monsters, and I actually really liked that one. Um, Godzilla versus sounds a lot of yeah, fun. Godzilla versus Kong was okay. I enjoyed it. I think for what it was, was you know. But um, mm-hmm. there, I feel like Godzilla versus Kong could not be a more different film. Or a more different interpretation of Godzilla than what we got with in this movie, because especially when you compare Very when you compare yeah. the destruction and, and the weight and the impact of the destruction of both films, like when you think about how in Godzilla versus Kong those two creatures were like annihilating an entire city, and you didn't see one person die. <laughs> yeah. When you just mm. know, I mean, I, <laughs> I rewatched it yesterday, and I'm just like, I keep it kept giving me whiplash every time they would go to the people's perspectives i'm like oh yeah there's people in this city they're being killed <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> and then comparing that to godzilla minus one where it's just like it shows you nothing but people's perspective perspectives and you're just like oh my gosh they're getting slaughtered yeah <laughs> uh and it's like but that was the good thing about it though because that you see the people's perspective and you really are thinking like how the fuck can you stop them at all <laughs> no seriously um so with all that being said i gotta say that uh I absolutely loved this movie um, on, on on many different levels. I think this is easily the best mm-hmm. Godzilla film I've ever seen. Like, easily. And I think, to me, this is the version of Godzilla that I think um, I vibe with the most, with just him just being a straight-up monster. And, yeah. David, didn't you say you, you, you've seen Shin Godzilla? I haven't, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I thought you did see it. 
Nah, I have it. <laughs> okay, never mind. I could have swore you said that. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Did Shin Godzilla come out before 2014 Godzilla? No. No. Came out after. It came out like a year or so before Godzilla King of the Monsters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, I think this film did just about everything right. And I think to me, yeah. the, 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 the place where... I mean, the whole idea of Godzilla being this force of nature, this near unstoppable force of nature that wreaked so much havoc and destruction and that you actually see that matter and you see the perspective of the people who are firsthand witnessing that destruction. I think that in and of itself does a world of difference to get me to feel more invested in what's going on as well as the idea that you actually have an ensemble of characters who are likable, who work well with each other on screen, and whose main principal character has an actual fucking arc in this story, which, go figure, arcs really do help audiences be more engaged with your characters and your story and your themes that much more. Um, and it's directly tied into the threat of Godzilla. It's directly tied into the threat of Godzilla. Like, to me, <laughs> this is just how you do it. Like, this was one of those films where I was just sitting back and watching, and I'm like, you're doing everything right. I'm. I'm it almost feels effortless, it, where it's like, yeah. <laughs> why isn't this happen more, you know? Yeah. Like, like, especially like when you look, films. especially if you compare it to the 2014 one, like, he really yeah. did try to make a like character driven story with that one because i really do i I really do enjoy the the 2014 one especially like the the story about just seeing this guy's journey to just try to get home he doesn't go through some kind of character arc or anything but like at least that was like was driving me you know to like keep going with the story but i mean godzilla minus one though it just he like you said he does it effortlessly of like creating a character arc for not just the main character, but for really everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think the main character here is, um, let me just hear, Kiyoshi, right? Uh, oh, Koyoshi. Ko- Ko- that, that, I'm reading the letterbox here. It says here that the main character's name is Koyoshi. And, um, Kochi? Or Ko- yeah. Koichi? Yeah. yeah that, I forgot. That's the Whatever. <laughs> um, he, he gives a tremendous performance here because you feel. You feel it. And I think it's also extraordinary because on many levels, like we're watching a film here that's all subtitled. I mean, none of us understand the Japanese language. But again, this a great performance is not beholden to you being able to understand what the words are being said. Like you felt every bit of the performance from him, you know, not fucking want. He was a kamikaze pilot and he was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to land and act like my plane is broken, but no, I don't want to fucking die. And then of course, mm-hmm. like he of feels the shame of that initially. And then what I was surprised with initially was like Godzilla just fucking shows up and, and, and fuck shit up. And it, it almost made me laugh because there, there isn't even like a dramatic reveal. You just turn yeah. around and it's like, oh, fuck, he's here. <laughs> <laughs> For real, though. He's there. And then what's even more surprising was the manner in which he was disposing of people was like, uh, oh, this yeah. feels more like a Jurassic Park movie than what I'm more used to with Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Like, he was annihilating them. And that's just the first Especially scene. because... He was like T-Rex size at that point, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that's like, to me, it really took me aback because that's, that's just not what I had been accustomed to seeing from the American films. And I should be clear, the, the 2000s movies, not any of yeah. the classic films that Peter has obviously seen. Um, so that was a whole, like, I think reset of like what I'm used to with it. What, what to expect. Yeah, basically, guess, as far yeah. as also just the viciousness of it, I that took me aback. And little did I know, that was just a start <laughs> that because you know it's it's you know godzilla it is a godzilla film but i mean what i really appreciate is that there's actual weight to the characters and, and the troubles that they're going through i mean just seeing the the devastation of tokyo um yeah and, and tokyo did get atomic bombed right no it not, wasn't not it tokyo. was just air raid. it was air raids oh, oh, just air, air raid bombs that was an air I hate to yeah. see what the atomic bomb... Air raid bombings can be bad enough. Yeah, like, Jesus yeah. Christ. What were the two cities that were bombed? It was Hiroshima and... And Nagasaki. Nagasaki. That's right, Nagasaki. Okay, that's right. Now i got to think of Oppenheimer. Uh, but they couldn't, they, they couldn't <laughs> bomb Kyoto because, you know, they honeymooned there. Yeah. We can, mm-hmm. God forbid that. Um, but just seeing the devastation and then picking up after the war, just absolutely just hard to see you know and because you stick with this character for years yeah. you see the way it takes years for them to rebuild yeah. like like it's not this like you turn around and it's like well we're back to normal it's it really is you see the way there's just such lasting impact on the entire society mm-hmm. right it, it affects everyone there it, it and the kind of work they're able to get the living conditions they're in um, the relationship they feel with their government, the relationship they feel towards each other as a people, sort of this lost identity because of the war. Um, and that's a lot of pretty deep shit for Godzilla. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although the original Godzilla was like that. Like, it it was like that. It, it, it was the ultimate sort of metaphor for the atomic bomb and the devastation that befell Japan it was literally a, an atomic bomb incarnate right Some, yeah, it, if it was released today it would be accused of being woke <laughs> I mean this was accused today and I guess it's not because they connected with the characters or something like there's that men? I don't there's men <laughs> it's just it all men it could be that it could be that but you know what um, I think what makes this film a real crowd pleaser is not necessarily this is a team, but these are actual friends that just happened to have met while working and cleaning up, you know, the the mines that they had dropped in the water. Um, and you like all of them. You like their dynamic mm-hmm. with each other. I, I especially really enjoyed the the doctor, the, the, or I guess the scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was really engaging. Which is funny because he, he looked like... He looked like a movie scientist. <laughs> did he? Like, did he? Yeah, for sure. Oh my god! It wasn't. They surprising gave, they at gave all. him the the Rick hair. Uh, it was a whole thing, right? Um, even uh, something as I thought it was interesting how they handled the relationship between um, Koyachi and then also um, what's it called? Uh, the woman that basically lives with him, right? But that his his girlfriend, yeah. a- Akiko, really... Akiko, right? Yeah, well, no, maybe that's the daughter. But I, I don't, I, whatever. I think Kiko was the was the yeah baby. yeah yeah yeah. That's the baby, and they're not at all related to each other. It's it just it, it, mm. Noriko. 
Was that it? Noriko. Noriko. Yeah, Noriko. Yeah. Noriko is, uh, mm. I guess, the the designated the girlfriend. Not really, though, because I, I love how he just... That, that sequence or that scene when his friends are realizing they're not actually married and how he explains, she just showed up. Is so yeah. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but they're they're still like, well, why aren't you married though? Like, it's like, like you guys are like, together. You're basically already married. Like, yeah. what's what's going on? And also, yeah. I, I don't know if it was implied, but there is a bit of a Japanese taboo that I think I don't know if it was implied in that sequence, but I know that from having watching The Wind Rises. Remember, there was this whole part in the movie where um, Jiro has to ask his boss if it's okay that his um fiance sleeps over but his boss was having a problem because he didn't want to have an unmarried couple sleep under the same roof oh, in his house yeah. so i'm sure but see that's that's why it's kind of interesting because war and desperation like changes things. those those formalities kind of what are you going to do right like they kind of go out the window and then mm. as the world starts to build itself back up again it's like okay well you got a nice house here like things are what's going on marriage you know like and, yeah but again that's where you get to the main themes like where for him it, it wasn't it wasn't better mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. mentally yeah you know he, he couldn't really he, he, you, yeah he was still at you war. see it that's what it is right like I, and i love the mm-hmm. last line of the film it's like what did she say to him is your war is your, is war, your war over, over? I, Mm-hmm. A hell of a really way to good. end a, a movie. That's a great, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what it was. Has your war ended? Has your I war ended? Was, right, yeah. right. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. she was waiting, the rest of the movie for that to happen, basically for him to go through this whole arc. Did you guys think? Because there, were, I mean, dude, that city was annihilated, and we'll get to that whole sequence. Yeah. But did you think there was a chance she might still be alive, or were you surprised? Hell no. <laughs> I. <laughs> Okay. Like, no, wait, wait. <laughs> when, when, when the, it looked bad. I'll, I'll say that <laughs> when everything was flying everywhere, it's like Ooh, I don't know if yeah. you survived that. When the neighbor like came up to him at the end and she like passes him the no, I was like, "There's no fucking way." <laughs> and then I'm just waiting for like the damage that she had, and she had some bad damage. I'll say, I'll say that, but I was still like, "That's some bullshit." You but, wanted her to be in a full body cast, like hanging from. I don't know from- what I expected, honestly. But like, Maybe, who says she wasn't? She's still alive, Maybe though. she wasn't a full body cast because that's she, the she thing. Was- I assume she was like in a coma for like months, or like she was so fucked up for like months. Yeah, yeah, or, for sure. But like, yeah. either way though, like I love the fact that she was alive though. I will say that because because I, well, I remember when yeah. when it happened, I was like, oh, I don't like that. I'm like, what? Did that I don't like happen? that. Yeah, I was no, I'm not kidding. That was like my actual reaction. And then at the end, you know, I I still think it's like it's bullshit that she's alive. But I'm still very very happy that she is though. <laughs> this is one of those things where it works perfectly with the film. Mm, yeah, because the film is, I think, if the film was going the direction of like likes vengeance or something like that like her dying okay like because then guess how it ends it ends with him killing himself in order to kill god i gotta tell you it looked like they were gonna commit to that yes Mm. but that but that's why i think the film is so well done because it, it 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 you believe 
like you genuinely believe like oh he's gonna die mm. like you believe Not- these things are gonna happen mm-hmm. but and- ultimately where the the movie ends up and with the message they're going through it it makes perfect sense that she's alive yeah for sure and you you believe though not just because like you think he's really like committed to killing himself but also because of like how the fuck are they gonna stop godzilla like you really do yeah like like i feel like this is kind of the only way to stop him you know (laughs) and so yeah they they really raised the stakes for that and made you believe that he was gonna die but and that but i love that scene though where they finally tell you like if you pull this here you get ejected out. And I love that they actually bring it up too, that they made planes that you couldn't eject out of. And they yeah, like, that was brought country. up earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they, they removed the ejection seat. Yeah. And then, um. but this guy added it into this one. And I love that line though, where he just puts his hand on his shoulder and he just goes, live. And it's like, that part <sighs> almost got to me. Cause you're like, like oh, fist pumping in, in the, <laughs> yes, for in sure. Especially cause like he had every right to be pissed off at him, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, but the fact that he turned around and was kind of like, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Like what was it? The thing that made him turn in the, end, I just think you know? life, like, was it just, I think the, he grew I, I as think a person throughout all the years maybe. that we hadn't seen him again. Wait, wait, I, wait, I think wait, he went through a wait, similar- which person do you mean? Uh, the guy that, that was fixing up the, the mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. mechanic. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I him. think he, he went through a similar journey as, as our hero, where, where it's like, it's this thing that he can't let go of and hold on to. And it's like, oh, like, these people died. They had families. They had this. They had that. Mm-hmm. And and they they didn't deserve to lose them. And, you know, and for what? And then he's kind of holding that over this other guy. And as this other guy's about to... <laughs> to go and 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 finally what he wanted was for him to make up for it he realizes he has a family too like he the same thing that these people lost he has it and he has it too and he's gonna lose that too in this future and yeah it is this thing of like kind of rejecting death rejecting um not like death the concept but um as, as a necessity as a uh what do you call it yeah. No, I mean that's the thing with all choosing the characters. life, basically. Yeah. yeah. No, that was the thing with all the characters. Is like they hate the idea of like dying for your country. But yeah, I don't think they hate the idea of dying for your country. They hate the idea of like throw throwing life away. It's more of just yeah. cherishing okay. the idea of life, not mm-hmm. not death. Kind of fighting thing. for your life than fighting like towards your death or something mm-hmm. like that i don't know yeah they, they talk about this like fight to live not fight to die mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure <clears throat> um it, it, it's just uh I, I loved all of the sequences when they're really just um trying to come up with ways to to fight godzilla and then of course that whole last action sequence just absolutely riveting every single step of it there were you know i got vibes of top gun maverick you got vibes of independence oh, day oh yeah for sure like yeah. it, it, it it's what the best of these kind of movies do i, I got that feeling overwhelmingly mm-hmm. and i gotta say i mean yes go ahead when the boats were, were hit, hit hidden in and the music was going oh my gosh i love it too because it starts, no, but it starts with the Godzilla theme when he destroys that boat, and you're kind of yeah. like, "Oh shit!" It's almost like an alarm going off, like, "Oh, yeah. it's about to go down here." But then, like, yeah, the movie change, the, the movie, the music changes to like more up, something more upbeat, kind of like intense. 
and it just it really set the tone perfectly for that final scene and yeah <laughs> um you gotta say i really love the look of godzilla here uh i loved the way that um what what, what do you call it his power beam or his what they call it heat ray. heat ray i love how it was used and how he needed to recharge and even how you see it power up mm-hmm. can you believe this was less than 15 million dollars those poor animators (laughs) i mean that's insane i don't Mm. because there's some pretty big sequences like the the destruction tokyo um, Tokyo. oh my god that was out of this world no literally i saw a clip of it but there was this one scene where you see these people it was like right before he shot his beam but you see these people running uh on the ground and he's just kind of like walking uh, you know, slowly, basically, but you, and the behind the scenes stuff, the only real thing is the people on the ground and everything else, the buildings, you know, Godzilla, obviously, like it's all CG. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, how did you do that with, <laughs> with very little budget? <laughs> and, but like, I still wouldn't have guessed like it was just the people that were real. And like, I, I, they did an amazing job and there's no excuse, Marvel. <laughs> Or any American studio making a blockbuster. Really? Um, This just puts it to shame. I I feel um, if it were up to me, considering the pennies they put this up with, this should win visual effects of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Like there were a few times where I'm like, is this CG or is this like a, like a model? I felt that way too. At least once I know for sure it was like there was a shot of the um, when they were when they were when he was chasing the boat in the water and he had the bomb in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm. There was one shot where I'm like, OK, this is clearly like a model, in which the water. felt very like, Jaws, by the way, that hold all the, that in the water. Yeah, that should. Oh, my God. When he was gaining on them. Uh, mm-hmm. Really well done sequence. Right. Like, really, really well done. And it's hard to do. It's hard to make that riveting because we've seen a lot of these things before, you know? Like, it, it takes yeah. a uh, a director's eye or something to actually make it. But I got to say, throughout the film, I was just astonished and astonished and astonished about how great this fucking is. And I got to say, the crowd loved it. The crowd we were loved yeah, this. we had a great crowd with it. Well, not mm-hmm. great, but, but we had a we had a vocal crowd with it. You know what I think makes those sequences work and i think we've talked about this it's not just like throwing shit at the wall they're very deliberately set up like like you you get all the cards ahead of time Mm -hmm. so like on the boat they let you know like okay it's set up before oh they're minesweepers they're they're sweeping up mines that's their job for world war ii and then now godzilla's attacking it's like okay now they're using these mines specifically as an offensive way against Godzilla. So as so there's very the, the pieces are very meticulously put there so you mm. can understand. They and speaking of Top Gun Maverick, they that's what they did with Top Gun where they spent the whole movie going um like hey, these we have to hit this maneuver, then we have to go up above the mountain, go down and and hit like an impossible shot to blow up the base. And it's like, you know, step by step what the sequence is. 
and the stakes at each point and, and the sort of the difficulty of it. And I think this film did a really good job, especially with that last part. Like, remember, they set up the whole thing of like, we need to circle him. We need to be able to, to bring him down and then we need to be able to drag him up. So then when something goes wrong, you instantly get it like, oh, no, they're not able to bring it up. Like we I just think that's um, a lot of Hollywood movies forget that because it takes planning, you know, in, in the writing mm-hmm. phase of and, and a lot of times they think action sequences are just throwing CG explosions at the wall, you know, yeah. every 20 minutes or so. And it, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I, I just love the idea, though, too, that they beat him. I mean, they still beat him with, the, like, with an explosion, obviously. But, like, the thing that, like, really made me hurt, or hurt him was just, like, nature itself, I guess you can say. Yeah, the crushing <laughs> and then the the return up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, if I were Warner Brothers or... Oh, God. If there isn't enough problems with Warner Brothers these days, I would seriously be looking at what the Japanese and Toho are doing with Godzilla as an inspiration for what to do next. Speaking of, isn't there one coming out next year? Yes. Godzilla X-Kong. Mm-hmm. They fuck in this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Is Emerald Fennell directing it? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Kong at the bottom of a, a tub. Using that tongue. I still don't know what the bathtub scene is. You should watch the movie. Don't watch the clip. Watch the movie. I got to tell you, I don't know why Alexis, I know why she can't help herself, but you got to watch it in the context of the film. Don't watch the okay. clip because I think it just kind of ruins it. Um, yeah. That was <laughs> a lot there. Anyway. If there are no final thoughts, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thank you, Peter, for being here. Thank you, David, for being here. Uh, for those of our, our watchers and listeners on our podcast network, we have new episodes of Turn to Page with David and Alexis Moreno. And then also, David and I have done reactions to um, Doctor Who. We did three specials, mm-hmm. and then in the next one will be the Christmas special uh, with Chidi Gatwa, his first solo, I guess, appearance as the Doctor. And then, of course, we'll be doing season, or the next season, whenever that happens months down the line and keep it right here of course for more movie reviews we'll be in the next coming weeks watching Wonka The Color Purple American Fiction Aquaman Poor Things maybe so many of them I hopefully Poor Things hopefully Poor Things I mean we gotta do that one as well and uh, we gotta get Alexis to see Saltburn I guess she's gonna wait until it goes on Amazon Prime (laughs) I feel like she'd like it (laughs) <laughs> and she wants to see it, but she just doesn't seem okay. to put herself out there to she, go see it. She's like that. In, in, in. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's our show today, guys. Stay on our spot for more content and more for podcasts on Sundays. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.